Hi, my name is Aaron Mathias from Coraline Sporting Goods, and on this episode of Hunt Hard Talk Free, I've got Jeremy Evans, who is the co-author of Mauled, Lessons Learned from a Grizzly Attack. And this episode is brought to you by Ballistics Custom Turrets, which is the most accurate and affordable custom turret system on the market. I'm also going to throw a plug in for Badlands Apparel. Jeremy's going to get into why. So um, welcome to the podcast, Jeremy. It's it's an absolute pleasure having you on. And uh, and I just wanted to start off with um, Steve Hogue. Tell me your relationship with Steve Hogue, who is the sales rep for Badlands, and how did you get involved with Badlands Apparel? Before we get into your harrowing story, let's let's get a little background on you. <laughs> well, that's a that's a great question. So I met Steve. It happened to be at least seven eight years ago at a sporting goods uh, show in Calgary, Calgary Sportsman Show. And yep. At the time, I was with uh, Pure Fishing, and. He was in there selling quantum rods and reels, and he yeah. started mentioning about Badlands packs. When I was about 14, well, 14 years old, I purchased a Badlands pack to go sheep hunting. It was one of their demo packs a long time ago. When he was yep. talking about that, I got pretty excited. I'm like, hey, I like to you know, get a Badlands pack. And uh, so it turned into a couple conversations. Uh, he handed me some pamphlets. And then the next day, I show up at the sportsman show. I'm like, hey, I like to order all this. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, wow, what's your plans? And uh, I had a hunt booked in Texas to go down to go uh, chase after some of the funky sheep that run around in western Texas. And yeah, I said, well, I'm going to go chase them, and I would like to try out this gear. Uh, so he said, just leave it with me. And him and... Uh, Pat uh, was Pat was his uh, boss, or I guess they worked together. Yeah. Uh, bad Badlands, and he said, "Well, we'll talk, and we'll give you a call in a day or so." Um, they came back to Calgary for another show, and they invited me out. And sure enough, I had a they set me up with a well, it was a bunch of packs, some suitcase, a whole pile of gear, well, twice as much as what I what I expected. <laughs> so it was it was pretty surprising um that it was two days after i got all this gear i didn't know what to do with it at first so i was reading up on it and go i'm gonna go try this out uh we had a whole bunch of sick of gear and you know i figured well let's give it a full shot yeah uh, hopped on a plane flew down to texas and i drug the gear behind the truck uh didn't wash it. I tried crawling, wrecking this, just tried destroying it basically. Yeah. And, it wasn't yeah, well, and why not? Because it's got unlimited lifetime warranty, right? Yeah. And I figured, what the heck? So the, <laughs> I remember when the outfitter picked me up at the airport, I said, let's go to this, let's go to the store and grab a sandbag. And he's like, why? I'm like, I want to throw it in this pack and drag it behind the truck for a little bit and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and was that was that like a hard frame pack or was that just an internal frame or just a day pack it was their uh it was one of their internal frame packs uh yep. the oh i think it was sacrifice okay the well, sacrifice. you sacrificed it you sacrificed it i did and we we uh hit, we hit some of the gravel roads we tossed the pack and it you know with the rope tied onto it and drug it for at least five six miles and then we took one of <laughs> 
we took one of the jackets, filled it full of rocks and everything else, and drug that behind the truck and yeah, just drove around. And I was like, wow, this is actually pretty good stuff. Well, let's be honest. I bet you destroyed both of those that you <laughs> drug behind the truck. <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly, they still they came out pretty good. Uh, the pack had a little, a couple little holes in it, but overall, it was it was very well held together. Uh, during that hunt, I managed to shoot a a pig, a sheep, and a goat all on one trip. Plus, I had a bunch of camera gear. I put yeah. the full the full pig inside the backpack. I just gutted it. It slid right in. Yeah. Then I shot a goat, parted that thing up, put that in the backpack. Yeah. And then I shot a sheep. Uh, so I had about, I'd say about 150 pounds in this backpack. Yeah. <laughs> Carrying it all out. And then uh, I shot a sheep on the way out and it was, didn't have enough room in the backpack. So I threw it on my shoulders and walking it out. And to my surprise, the pack actually never ripped apart. It held together. <laughs> uh, I was quite impressed. Do you know what species of sheep you were shooting down there? Uh, Corsican ram. And, okay. Uh, this is Spanish, some Spanish goats. The Spanish goats, yeah. I got one of them on the wall here at the store. Uh, they're beautiful. Do they stink as much as they say they stink? Oh, that was horrible. <laughs> you definitely <laughs> know when you shoot a goat. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's what I hear about those, is they're one of the most disgusting creatures to harvest, just the scent of them. And it's just, they pee all over themselves, as all animals do. I mean, that's part of the rut, but supposedly they are one of the stinkiest animals uh, to harvest, for sure. You could definitely, you definitely know, so you don't need no tracking dog, you just... <laughs> <laughs> I, I got one other person I want to ask you about, and... Uh... Helen Thomas. Helen Thomas used to work for Barton's in Grand Prairie, and she is now part of the management team of our Prince George Corlanes location. And she, uh, when, when I reached, or when Steve um, post, reshared your post on, um, when he reshared your post of your attack, I reached out to Steve immediately and said, I got to hear the story. I want to talk to this guy. I'd love to have him on to help him promote his book. Um, as when Robbie Austin and Chris Ayers both came in separately to do their, to tell their story of the exact same occurrence. They both had such different takeaways from it and, and they both remember the incident so differently. And, um, we had, I want to say it was one of the top five podcasts in Canada that month. And people like to hear stories like the one that uh, you're going to share with us today. And I got to say, you shot me a copy of the book, a digital copy, and I couldn't put it down. It was, it was absolutely riveting. And, and as somebody who spends a lot of time in the bush, I've been, I've slept in tents. I've been on 10 day sheep hunts. I've spent a lot of time in the mountains and in the back country, come across many bears in my time. I've hunted black bears with my bow, spring bear hunting. Um, never been on a grizzly hunt. They shut it down before I ever drew a tag here in BC, which we'll talk a little bit about that after we get through your story, if there's time. but. It was bone chilling. The reading through your story, reading through your personal account, uh, the co-author's account, your wife's journal, the doctor's records—not records. The doctor's telling more the technical side of your injuries that you sustained on this. Um, on the, uh, we'll call it an adventure, but on this hellish survival uh, story, it's just. I, I couldn't stop reading it. And so, I mean, with my two and four-year-old at home, I don't have a whole lot of time to read books. But this one, after they went to bed, I was sitting down and scrolling through on my iPad, reading through the story. And it's it's absolutely amazing. And 
Um, just to give it a little plug, when does your book release? What's the release date? Release date is September 27th. Perfect. And I know, and I'll harass you off camera about this. I, I want to make sure that I've got some coming and cause I think you shoot, shot me an email for somebody else that I'll be ordering through. If that's correct. I want these, I want to sell the living daylights out of them. Uh, cause it is such a, a harrowing story. So we look forward to getting in both locations and we back you a hundred percent and, and love to promote, um, local people and help get their stories out. And if anyone can learn something from it, that's to, to, to maybe save their lives or help somebody else who goes through similar attacks. Um, we need to share our stories, right? So let's, let's jump right into it. Oh, I, we, Tell me about Helen. I, I kept talking and I didn't let you talk. Tell me about your connection to Helen and how you got to know her. Well, I got to know Helen up at the Edmonton Sportsman Show. I was assigned to work in the Barton's booth to sell Badlands Badlands gear. I was their, I guess their pack expert. Um, I could be hit it off over a, a bucket of donuts and some lemonade. Nice. Doesn't get much <laughs> better than like, the buckets. No, it was kind of like my icebreaker, I guess. I'm like, hey, I'm Jeremy. I'm from Badlands. Here's some donuts. And what do you want me to do? <laughs> Fair <laughs> so enough. She had a, a mountain of vinyl, uh, vinyl holders and well, a bunch of women's packs. And she's like, well, I don't know anything about these. How do you size somebody up and teach me a little bit about them? So we kind of hit it off that way there. Talked about a bunch of uh, hunting stories. It was a it was a lot of fun, and then well, the following years, the year I got mauled by the bear. Okay. Uh, so that was we had so much fun the time uh, the first year that she wanted me to come back again, and I told her, well, might not be able to because I got mauled just recently mauled by a bear, and it's kind of still pretty fresh. Uh, so she was pretty much devastated, and then uh, talked to my wife, and we decided, well, let's give it a shot. Um. Of course, we hit it off again right away. We went over to the uh, the Game Warren's booth, and she was telling me about her spring bear hunt and her fall bear hunt, and then she's getting ready to go again in the spring. And we're looking at the bears. She was asking me if you know it made me nervous and what happened. And well, the first thing I did was I laid on the ground and ate the bear, and I was like, I was like, yeah, this is kind of what it was like when it was chewing on me. And <laughs> <laughs> Damn, like, you're in good spirits that. to be able to do that. Do that. <laughs> yeah, and it was just I was just laying and like, quick, get a picture. She's like, no, what are you doing? Like, this is this is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and and I will say that really comes through in reading the book. Uh, between the nurses' accounts, your wife's accounts, the authors' accounts, is your sense of humor and your positivity through it all, and how you, with your thumbs up, with the jokes you'd be telling, with the. Your ability to get up and walk 60 feet or 60 meters down to the nurse's office instead of to the edge of the bed, which is what they were hoping for. Your your positivity seems to be one of the things that helped get you through, for sure. So, before we get into the full story, I got a technical question for you. What were you packing yep. for a rifle on this on this hunt? I was packing a 300 wind bag and my compound bow. Both. <laughs> Both, yeah. Most I, uh, guys are cutting their toothbrush in half to save a little weight on a sheep hunt, and here you are packing a bow and a rifle. <laughs> yeah, I had uh, roughly about a hundred and about a hundred pounds of gear. I was yep ready for uh, well four or five days. Okay, 
Well, let's get into the story. I'm, I, I could talk for days, as you probably already found out, but what I want to do is I want to let you start telling the story, and then when I have questions, I'm going to jump in. Alrighty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Uh, I started off, uh, I know this area quite well. I've been hunting back in there for 17 years, and the actually the very first time I went out there was with my girlfriend now my wife we uh hiked way back in way back in there to this canyon where nobody goes i try to get there was guides out there so i try to get past the guides and keep going way back in just for i just like the peace and quiet and nobody around yeah uh we got back in there hiked down the same trail uh where this is the first time i've ever been down the trail we ran into two grizzly bears uh one Ran in front of us about five, six feet away and stood up. And another one stood up on the other side of the trail and grunted and made some funky noises. And then they took off. Well, that was our very first experience back in there. And a little <laughs> bit of a scary one. Yeah. We uh, we still ended up staying there overnight. Um, got up next morning, seen some sheep, but not a whole lot around. There was those two bears stuck around for the whole time. So we got pretty nervous and decided to take off. Now, and for fast, Sorry, for anyone that's unaware of where we're speaking, we're talking Southern Alberta, because we have listeners all around the world, um, but we're talking Southern Alberta, and, and we don't have to get into specifics, um, and, and and it's easily accessible for the first bit, right? And other there, there's a fair amount of other people that can access the entry to the area? Well, the first, uh, off of the forestry trunk road is about... Uh, 25 kilometers and the road gets pretty sketchy washed out in areas yeah uh at the there's a gate where you have to park where you walk in but the first i'm gonna say five six kilometers it's a road old right. well road uh they take now it's all been closed down for a while now they use wagons uh, to take in hunters but after the five kilometers it goes into all washed out a creek washed everything out um I think it was another 10, 15 kilometers straight back to the hard rock. There's multiple drainages and bowls you can hike into from there. Um, it, after about the 7, 8K mark, there's nobody. Even the outfitters don't like going that far back in. Um, the nice. one canyon that I, that I used to go in all the time, they called it Crying Canyon because it's just a nasty, <laughs> nasty spot. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I actually shot a moose back in that canyon. Well, I think it's my third year hunting in there, and that was not a fun adventure trying to get that sucker out on foot. If there's one animal I wouldn't want to shoot in the middle of nowhere where it's tough to get in, it's a moose. <laughs> they're big, they're awkward, they're heavy. You're pack even if just to pack the head and antlers out in one pack, there's a lot of weight going on there, and then you can harvest a lot of meat off a of moose. You can, and I, I was uh, I was dumb and shot a bullwinkle because I thought it was cool. <laughs> Were you by yourself on the moose trip? I was by myself. It took me uh, three and a half days to hike that sucker out. Holy. Okay. Yeah. You're like eating as much as you can just so you don't have to pack it out. <laughs> How much moose can I, I eat in it. two days? <laughs> That's right. There was no mountainside to push it down. <laughs> it was just taking mini, uh, it was just basically like leapfrogging to take a chunk in, walking it out, say 500 yards, go back in another piece, walk it past the first one and just Holy. leapfrogging it constantly all day and night. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I have lots of, lots of, uh, 
lots of fun experiences back in that canyon. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you said what, 15 years? You'd been back and forth in there 15 years? Uh, 17 years. 17, yeah. yeah and tell I, me about I, the 17th year. Well, the 17th year was uh, was probably the most exciting year. Um, I was It was my time to shoot a sheep finally. I spent all summer hiking in and out of there uh, every, every couple of days, riding my bike in, finding the sheep, coming back out. So I had it, I had it down to a science. I found some rams and this is going to be my, my, my time to get one finally after 17 yep. years. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, uh, got up pretty early. Uh, I think it started about 11 o'clock at night, drove out, got out there about three in the morning and, uh, hopped on my bicycle and rode in on the trail way back, way into the back. Uh, it was pretty close to, let's say about uh, six, seven o'clock. I was riding up uh, up the trail, kind of up the mountainside. There was two old cowboys sitting there on the edge of the trail drinking coffee. And one guy looked like Lanny McDonald had a huge mustache. And he's <laughs> looking at me and he's just like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> and this Granola muncher on his bicycle, eh? <laughs> definitely. Yeah. So, uh, so I rode past them up the hill and they were watching me and they kind of stood on the trail and looked at me as I went by and I just kind of waved and kept on going. I got, uh, to where the trail ends, there's a really steep drainage. So I walked my bike down that and got into more of the kind of willow brushy kind of, oh, mostly willow and brush train. Yeah. Crawling through, crawling through that and just taking a step and looking for sheep. It was just just about sunrise, so I was looking on the hillsides across the way where the rams usually hang out. Yep. And, you know, taking a couple steps, looking, looking. And uh, well, that trail keeps winding down, goes to another drainage, and gets real steep. And then the, the bushes start to end, and there's just small spruce trees. Um, there's now, uh, one of my favorite. Sorry, was the goal to go in alone? The goal, uh, no, originally I had a friend that was going to come with me and uh, he ended up backing out last minute. He got sick and was unable to make it. So I, yep. I wanted to go because this is something I'm very passionate about. And, <laughs> and you've been planning for so long. Right? Yeah, and I'm not yeah. one to wait for somebody. If somebody's going to be late, I just keep going because I want to, I'm excited and just want to yep. go. And And correct me if I'm wrong, but was it, a week or two before that, that you broke your foot falling out of a tree stand? No, that was uh, a couple of years before. Okay. Okay. I, I just yeah. remember reading about the, just showing your grit and determination. You fall out of a tree stand, break your foot, ah, whatever, strap it up and just keep hunting. And and so that story <laughs> leading into the hunt, I was like, man, were those back to back? But okay, fair enough. <laughs> you're yeah, you're in your prime. Okay. You're good to go. So now you're, you're in. Good to go. You're, you're, you're in um watching for sheep yeah so there's a one nice little spot where there's it's kind of like a little pier big rock outcrop and there's a spruce tree on that and all surrounded by green moss and it's one of the places always like to camp uh, and that's where i usually camp but just a nice little safe spot i'm looking at going well i think i should go a little bit further just to make sure the sheep are not in the back bowl it's the day before the season so i want to make sure i got a good look in the area so i'm camping close to where the sheep are and so I cross the drainage, get up on this little hill, and as I come up over the, it's not a little hill, it's pretty steep kind of cliff drainage. Uh, so I climb up over top of that, got my bike there, and 
I walk a little bit further and I notice some sheep off off in the distance. I'm like, oh, that's pretty sweet. We'll see if uh, see if there's any rams in there. I got my bike sitting out in front of me there and took my backpack off to a little stretch. Uh, I got on my handlebars, my elbows, and just peered across the valley with my binoculars and was watching, looking at some sheep. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. There's some ewes and lambs, and there's uh, one young ram. Uh, and so I was watching them for you know a couple of minutes, thinking like, well, this would be a good spot to stop and get something to eat. And as I was looking across, I brought my binoculars down, and this little brown thing ran in front of me, literally within 10 feet. And as soon as I seen it, I knew right away I was screwed. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. And, and uh, my first instinct was to uh, grab my bear spray. Of course, I didn't have it on me. Stupid me. Uh, <laughs> so as I'm reaching down my backpack to grab my bear spray, I bent down and I heard this crack sound kind of over my right shoulder. And as I turned and looked, there was mama. She had been, oh, maybe four or five feet away. I remember her coming when she was on a full dead run. She had her paw stretched out to grab me. And I could just remember seeing the whites of her eyes and her teeth. Um, and just out of instinct, I grabbed my bicycle and just dropped it in front of her and stepped aside. It's like a slow motion here. She's like almost beside me, just step aside. And yeah. Dropped my bike in front of her. Um, of course, I didn't have my bear spray out, my gun, nothing, just my pack. Uh, I grabbed my frame pack and I had the, the part that goes against your back was facing away and I had the outer part of the pack against my chest. So she was caught in the bike or one of her paws was through the back tire and the other one was stuck in the, in the frame with her head and she kind of looked at me trying to shake it. Uh, she turned around and shook it off and came at me. Uh, first thing I did was jam my pack in, in her face trying to push her away and smashing over the head with it. Uh, she grabbed my hands and just made a mess of them. You can hear, you know, like the bones crunching and her teeth grinding against my hands and the pack frame. And so I was pushing her, trying to keep her back. Uh, then she just stopped and kind of turned away and started walking away. I'm like, well, okay, well, this is, this is good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was felt some kind of sigh of relief. Like, okay, that wasn't so bad. Uh, and I was trying to get my gun off the pack. I was just scrambling, you know, just. I guess kind of panicking. Uh, well, I was panicking. Oh, for sure. <laughs> How could you not? It, it's so, you know, I was just watching her walk away, trying to unclip the gun and try to, or try to pull my bear spray out. And I looked up again. She turned around. She just did a little quick little spin. And then she was coming in hard. Uh, we were probably separated by about 30, 40 feet. Well, I did a real stupid thing. I uh, threw my pack at her and decided, well, I'm fairly good shape. I can probably run up that hill just as fast as she is. She could, or maybe, yeah, maybe quicker, but no. <laughs> <laughs> but my whole object was to run up the hill and then turn and turn downhill and jump into a tree. So at least I don't yeah. have to start from the ground zero. I, yeah. I thought that was a smart idea, but. Sound, uh, it sounds like a good plan. <laughs> Except being able to outrun a bear who can outrun horses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is. It's surprising how big and how fast they can move. Like, I mean, they're yeah. they're on you. Well, yeah. I took up the hill. I got about maybe 60, 70 feet. And I'm like, oh, there's a perfect tree. So I grab it, swing myself around and jump in it. And I got uh, about four feet up the tree. My one leg was hanging low. My right leg was hanging low. And I'm just pushing myself up to jump up that next step. And I just 
remember seeing her below the tree looking at me going, yummy. And looking down, I can see her looking up at me. She reached up with her one paw, grabbed my right leg, and just pulled me down. And then she lunged up with her mouth. And as I could see her mouth wrapping around my leg, I was like, this is going to hurt. Yeah. And then she just grabbed a hold, gave her one shook, threw me right out of the tree. I hit the so ground. How, and How high were you up the tree? Uh, I was probably maybe five feet, six feet. Wow. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't get up that high, but uh, her, I guess my chest was about the five foot, six foot level. So my legs were oh, down okay. a little bit lower. Yeah. You were nowhere out of her, out of the danger zone. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> so I thought I climbed a really big tree, but according to the game wardens, I climbed the smallest tree in the hillside. <laughs> to this day, I still, I still argue with them on that one, but he's like, no, no, you climbed a little tiny tree, but I, I want to think I climbed the bigger one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when I, when I hit the ground, I was kind of stunned for a second. Just laying there like, okay, well, well, what next, right? Do you play dead? What do you do? Um, my instinct was, well, I'm just going to crawl underneath the spruce tree and wrap myself around it. Uh, got the spruce brows there. Oh, how is she going to be able to pull me away? It'd be harder for her. So I yeah. wrapped myself around the tree and held on. And she's digging out one of her paws. And I was like, yeah, this is an awesome idea because she couldn't really get at me. And she was trying to dig at, dig at me and nothing was really happening. And then all of a sudden she stopped and just grabbed me by the side, just right by the left side, kind of uh, right the love handle area. Yeah. She grabbed me, picked me up like nothing, and then threw me about six feet. Um, that was surprising. It just I remember hitting the ground again and going, holy crap. And then bang, she was on top of me within half a second. Uh, the first the first thing she did was uh, bite me right in the face or Two front teeth caught me, one on the on the left eye, just on either side of the eye, and just yeah. crunched down. I could feel my eye socket and my jaw, everything just crunch. Um, it just you could just feel everything, bones breaking and sound like ice. It, it was just a it's a weird feeling. Like I didn't feel anything at the time, but you could just hear it. Yeah. It was more more the the audible, not the you, you shock or whatever it is set in and you you didn't have the the instant sharp pains it was more just the the numbness and, and realization of everything that that's occurring yeah it was just more like the sound the smell of her just the the feeling it's, yeah it's a weird feeling it, and it was all in slow motion like it seemed like it'd take her like 20 seconds to bite me in the face when really it probably was like half a second right yeah it's like being in a, I guess, like a NASCAR driver and you lose control and you're flipping in the air and you're going to hit the wall. Everything's in slow motion. Yeah. And then you hit the wall. That's what it, it's kind of the best way I can describe the feeling. Yeah. So this is attack number two. She's pulled you out of the tree. She's flung you six feet in the air or six feet and then pounces on you. And now she's crunched into your face. She's like, are you laying on your back face up? And she's. I was laying kind of on my right side yeah um laying there and trying to cuddle curl up in a ball like they tell you yeah. to, how you to play dead yeah um, yeah it was her her first bite and then she came in and she bit me again and kind of on the forehead and i'm laying there and go man that now that one hurt i felt i felt pain on that one yeah and i'm laying there going wow this sucks to play dead like this is this is not fun you know, yeah, I'm not going to live through this. I might as well just try something. Yeah. 
so then I rolled over and I was like, screw this. Like this hurts. <laughs> so I yeah. rolled over to my, rolled over to my back and just the bear, she was, was going to come down to bite me again. And I took my right hand, started punching her in the face, poking her eye. I had my finger on the corner of her nose, was peeling it back. And she was trying to snap at my hand. Yeah. And then she come down with another forceful bite. Like she came in hard to bite me again. And it was like perfect. It was just like, Oh, moment when she was bringing her head down, it was perfect. I punched with my left hand up and I managed to shove my hand into her mouth and shove my fingers down her throat and grab her tongue. And she, oh. <laughs> when, when I did that, just the shock on her face, it, it was just, it changed from like, like, holy crap. Like she was scared for a moment. Yeah. You, you went from I, prey to, not predator, but I mean, you hadn't fought back to this point. So now no. something's pissing her off and, and fighting. Yeah. And so then when I, when I did that, uh, I grabbed a hold of her tongue and everything and I squeezed as hard as I could, fingers down her throat. She was yeah. almost like gagging and choking. Uh, she tried to close her mouth. And I remember looking at my arm and a good chunk of my forearm was in her mouth. And I was like, wow. Uh. And she couldn't close her mouth. She was having trouble. And I just, I just remember my hand was sliding in. It felt like leather. And you could feel all the scars on her tongue and the bumps near the back of her mouth got a little bit smoother. And then you could feel yeah. down her throat. Uh, it was, it's very distinct feeling. Like to this day, it still haunts me when uh, yeah. thinking about that. Yeah. So when my hand in her mouth, uh, she was, her uh, back of her body was on the, was on the right side of me and her back paws kept hitting me in the side. Her claws were digging in and that was really hurting. Uh, so I started pushing on her hind end, trying to push her feet off of me and my hand slipped in and I felt like a, like the belly, uh, like a belly of a bear. The hair kind of disappears and you can yep. feel skin more. Yeah. More skin. Yeah. And it's more of a smooth so skin, not the bristly hair kind of thing. Yeah, and it's, you could definitely tell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so when I pushed off, my hand hit the belly, and I'm like, oh, sweet. Um, I slid my hand up the belly, and I felt some really loose skin I thought at the time was balls. So I grabbed my hands, you know, one hand in mouth, and I grabbed, and whatever I thought was balls, I grabbed, twisted, and pulled. She made a horrendous sound, squealed like a pig, like just like a, like a regular pig would. Yeah. Um, hollered and she got really um i don't know what's the word to describe it like frazzled and she was panicking like flopping around uh so so then i let go and then she took off making squealing like a pig and just darted off through the bush yeah and i was like oh okay well that's not too bad you know uh i got up and i i stood up like nothing and i just dusted myself off um, looked for my hat. I couldn't see my hat, whatever. I walked down to where my pack was, found my pack and opened up my pack. And I was like, well, this sucks. You know, like, what do I do now? And I pulled out my phone and, uh, oh, I didn't know what I looked like. So I got my phone out, turned on selfie mode and took a picture of myself. I'm like, huh, all right, well, <laughs> what do you do now? <laughs> Cause I was like, this is the picture that's online, correct? Correct. 
and no, I will uh, will be resharing the, your post today as a, a a teaser. But for anyone that it's not for the faint of heart or the squeamish, because it is probably and I hate to say I, I've hit the depths of the internet and seen some things that I never should have seen. And it's the picture that you've got there is uh, is pretty gruesome. It's not for the faint of heart for sure, and. I don't even know what what more to say about it, but uh, if you've got a strong stomach, check it out because it's it's absolutely amazing to see you sitting in front of me right now and how good you look compared to when you were shredded after that bear attack. So, so you took the selfie. Then what? <laughs> so, I took the selfie and I'm like, well, this is either going to. I mean, I, I thought to myself, like, well, it's not too bad. I can probably go and still hunt the sheep or go on a bear hunt. Would you know? It's just that's kind of how I thought. I was I was kind of mad. I was pretty mad. I just sitting there in my pack going, "Well, this sucks." Like now I got to go home. I really want to get a sheep, and <laughs> this was my time to shoot a sheep and this stupid bear. <laughs> yeah. So so I'm sitting there. I'm kind of contemplating, like, what can I? What should I do? Just you know, I'm sitting there, and I, I was more disappointed at first. I didn't really, I didn't, I wasn't thinking I was that hurt. I didn't realize. Maybe shocked yep. still. Yeah. So I. Leaned up against this old rotten log that was sitting on the edge of the trail there and got my gun out. And I was like, well, I'm going to, you know, load her up and I don't know what to do. So sitting there leaning against the stump, I have my gun against my left shoulder and I have the clip in my right hand and I'm pushing in shells in. That old Tika 300 Magnum Tika T3 light. So I could pull the clip and putting my shells in there. As I'm doing that, I think I got three in. And I was just putting the, trying to get the fourth one or the third one in. I just remember everything going numb. Uh, I just remember my hands dropping and I could feel, and it, well, it sounded like ice breaking in the back of my head. It's it just like a crackling sound. And uh, it was so loud. It felt like somebody just breaking ice in my ears. Yeah. And then my hands just kind of dropped. Uh, the next thing I know, I can hear like breathing and I could feel I'm being pulled. So she came, the, the bear came back and she grabbed by the back of the head, kind of at the base of the skull, uh, clamped on and she drug me back in. I felt like a long distance and just, I was completely numb. I couldn't move. I just hearing and you just see the bushes. Just, she pulled me over everything, all over the junipers, through the willows. And then she stopped, and I was, like, sitting up, but leaning against her, her paws. She was directly behind me. Yeah. And I leaned against her legs, and I just remembered, like, I couldn't do nothing. Uh, the first, what she started to do, she was chewing on the back of my head, and then her right claw caught me on the right side of my face from down over my nose and lips, and yeah. she peeled everything right back. She just ripped all the skin my I.O. just busted my whole entire face, just one swoop. And then she was gnawing on my on the side of my head like a dog on a bone. Like that's what it felt like. She's just Jeez. crunching away. And yeah. And I, I just I couldn't do nothing. Um so that went on for probably oh, I want to say hours, but it was probably only like 20 seconds. Yeah. Uh she moved her legs or repositioned herself. I fell backwards and I hit the ground. It was, it was like, uh, I can all of a sudden like feel things again. It, it was a weird feeling. It was just like, 
I don't know, being charged back up again. So I'm laying there and I can't see at this point. Uh, everything was cloudy. Was um, I like looking through fog? Yeah. I could just see this dark thing above me. Um, so I reached up with both hands and I could feel the belly and I reached up and, oh, I'm in the belly area again. Grabbed what I thought was balls with both hands. And I yeah. grabbed, dug in, twisted, pulled up. Uh, she bucked like a bronco and then I wrapped my my legs around her neck and just like a UFC fighter just clamped down and held around her neck and whatever I had, I was trying to rip it off. Yeah. Uh, she was making horrendous sounds, squealing, jumping. She was rolling around. She was like a bucking bronco. Yeah. And I can feel my back brush going through the brush quite quickly. And she, you could just tell that like the fear of God was in her. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and for uh, anyone that doesn't know, how big are you? I'm uh, six foot two. Uh, at the time of the attack, I weighed 230 pounds and I was pretty solid pretty you're a big kid. bear in that fight <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I, I won't get too much into the bear at the moment but how big was that bear i bought but the with the game wins figure about the average size of a sow so about 400 pounds to 350 okay. 400 pounds. Yeah. not a monster but yeah. decent size grizzly well and they're they're twice the strength of us pound for pound anyways so yeah, they tossed me around like a rag doll. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so she, you're dragging underneath. You're holding on for dear life, fighting her like an MMA fighter. <laughs> and then I just, I felt safe. I guess or felt it was okay for me to let go. So I let go, and I just remember her. I remember the smell and feeling like her just defecating everywhere, like it just flowing. Uh, so then I let go, and I'm laying there, and I can't see. Um, I. I'm missing parts. Uh, you know, spilling my head and my right side, and I didn't have an eye. I, I couldn't find my right eye. Yeah. Uh, there was chunks of my face hanging down. Um, I tried to stand up, and I couldn't. I just, I, whatever I did, I couldn't stand up. Everything, nothing was working. I, I knew relatively where I was on the hill, like where the trail was. Yeah. I just, so I started to crawl downhill and i came across the trail and i you know i've been in there so many times hiked in there in the middle of the night that i i could probably find my way out being blindfolded yeah uh i got to the trail and i crawled down the trail and i came across my pack pretty quick i was at this point in time i was panicking i found my gun right away and i tried to shove a uh shell down the tube but my hands were so messed up i couldn't bend to get my fingers in and i couldn't see to put a shell in uh, my left eye at this point in time was hanging down, looking straight at the ground when I looked forward. So in order to see straight on, I had to either pick it up or tilt my head way back. Holy. So, uh, so uh, reading through that and I, I looked at the picture and I looked at the picture and I zoomed in, um, your left, eye, like how far down was it hanging? Like, so what, it, are we talking like an inch or two or like down to my nose? So my okay. whole eye yep. socket was completely It was destroyed. crushed. It was destroyed. Yeah. And my eye was just like hanging down, kind of like in a cartoon. Oh. You see the yeah. people pick their eyeball. Yeah, that's what, the, that's the what it felt like. The optical cords. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And you could still see out of it at that point, but just extremely blurry. Extremely blurry. Yeah, okay. And my jaw on the left side was hanging down, was kind of drooping or 
well, parts of my face, everything was hanging down. So I didn't know, yeah. you know, I didn't know what it looked like at that point. And I, like I said, I couldn't see, I found my gun. That was the easy part to find, but I was panicking, looking around for my clip. And then the first thing I came across was some soft, fuzzy stuff, which was my mustache and goatee. On the ground. On the ground. Yeah. And then I found, I believe it was my ear, and then several other chunks of my head. I found these. So I kind of gathered them up and had them in one hand, and I was still feeling around. Mm -hmm. And I found, I managed to find my clip. And so the first thing I did was slam my clip in the gun and swing around. And anything that looked dark, I shot at it. Uh, and so then, you know, I'm sitting there and I didn't know what to do at this point. Uh, it was pretty bad. There was blood gushing out of everywhere. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't really see, I couldn't stand. Um, this your is face where... is hanging off, your jaw's hanging yep. off. You've gotten, your nose is disconnected and you're missing an ear. You've got one eye where it needs to be and one ear where it needs to be. The rest is, is not where it needs to be. Correct. Nope. Yeah, it was all gone. And I, you know, I was sitting there and I opened up my backpack and I found my first aid kit. And I remember, and it was, I bought this real expensive, what's it called? Uh, the Hunter's Edition or something. It was made for <laughs> hunters. I opened it up and I looked inside and just kind of fumbling through. I'm like, this is garbage. Like, there's nothing Nothing's going to help me. <laughs> there was no great big band aid, you know? So. Mm -hmm. That, so that was that was tough. So I'm sitting there and I pulled my phone and uh, you know we just had a little one and uh, just thinking like this is this is it. Like there's no way I'm going to survive this. There's no way I can make it out. And uh, you know I was trying to determine should I just finish myself off there and or just let things happen and just lay down and you know let so nature I, take its course. Yeah, and it was that was tough. Um, you know, so I you know, text my wife. I knew she wasn't going to get it, but I knew eventually they, somebody would find me and see the phone. And, um, I took a bunch of pictures in hopes that whoever found me would know that what I went through instead of, you know, some granola munchie getting scratched by a bear. And yeah. so, so I was sitting there and kind of deciding what to do. Uh, that was tough. Um, that was a tough moment. When I finally figured it out, I uh, took my took the pieces of my face and uh, well, I put one of my sweatshirts on upside down, one of my Badlands Badlands shirts. <laughs> and uh, I remember putting it on upside down and opening it up and just taking each piece of my face and laying it down, kind of, I guess, the blood part, the blood part just kind of slowly putting it up and then wrapped it around, tied it around my, uh, underneath my jaw to hold my jaw up in place. Cause it was driving me nuts hanging there and tied it around the back of my neck and tied it really tight. So at least I can hold my head up and things weren't dangling in my way. Yeah. Um, you know, at that point I was so hungry cause I hadn't eaten anything and I, I don't know. I was just, I was hungry. So I grabbed yeah. this pack of Swedish berries <laughs> and, I was trying to open up, of course, when your fingers are all messed up, you can't really, you can't really do anything. So when I open up this, it's like a one kg bag of Swedish berries. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
So when I, when I finally got it open, it like exploded and went all over the mountainside. Uh, I remember reading the Game Warns reports. They're like, do you like Swedish berries? Because they were everywhere. <laughs> You're just trying to bring more bears in. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and so I, I had a bunch of them and I couldn't open my jaw or, or like chew. So I stuck them in on the side of my face because there was nothing there. I, just my teeth kind of hanging out. I yeah. stuck them in my mouth and just let them dissolve in my mouth. And yeah, I uh, grabbed my water bottle and threw another shirt over top of myself. Uh, at the time, I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt. And when you're in the mountains early season, it gets pretty hot and sunburn and all that stuff would kind of wear you out. So I threw uh, sweaters over top of my shoulders trying to protect me from the sun because I was quite out. I was exposed. And this was... Yeah. Uh, 9.36 a.m. is when uh, when I took the selfie. So uh, so the so after I decided what I was going to do, I tried to stand up. And the first 10 feet, I probably fell 100 times. I just couldn't get on my feet. Uh, all the tenants, well, I found it later on that all the tenants, my right leg were severed at the knee. So I really had no, I had no strength in it. And it was just basically a dead leg. Yeah. Um, I also, at the time, I I don't know why, but I had about 40 rounds of ammo with me. <laughs> to this day, I don't know why. I never I never shoot that many bullets in like 10 seasons. So You're a sucker for punishment. You wanted that extra weight in your pack just to go in heavy. <laughs> yep. I, I think, you know, I'm just going to... I'm just going to say that that was from the couple of years previous to I put shells in there and kept forgetting about them. Yeah, that's my yeah. story. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> We've got a solution for you that we'll get into that it's something that we build that you need. Uh, no one else is doing it. We're off topic, but it's on this exact topic. And I, I had it built. Robbie Austin talks about after his grizzly attack, he, ha he came in and had Greg build him one. So we do a second, we, we do a aftermarket stock for Tika's with a second magwell up inside the buttstock. So I've got a three round or a five round mag out the bottom of my buttstock. I can just push a little tab release just like you would for your mag release. So I've got two mags fully loaded in my gun at all times. So if I have nice. an issue with the first one, I've got a second I can slam in. Not a sales plug at all, but something that you definitely <laughs> will need for your next trip. <laughs> so... So, uh, on my, on the first, you know, hundred feet or so, anything dark got three rounds. It didn't matter what it was. I can just, if I could see it look dark, you got three rounds. Yep. Uh, and then the very first part of the trail, it goes down into really steep drainage. It's probably a three, 400 foot drop down to the bottom of the drainage. There's a Creek there kind of cliffs all the way down the one side. It's, Kind of comes to a point, a triangle, but very steep hill. So the first, you know, I started going down there. The first little bit was fine, but then I fell and I tumbled down to the bottom, uh, head over heels, ended up into some big boulders, laying there, and I was pretty mangled. Couldn't really move. Uh, you know, smashed my head a bunch. Uh, my arms were stuck underneath the rocks. I was laying on my side. I just... I couldn't move. Everything hurt so bad. Um, it just was a struggle just to try to untangle my legs from each other. And I yeah. just, I couldn't do it. And I laid there and I, and I like, well, this is, this is it. Like, you know, at least I'm out in the open. Um, 
I like to get further back on the trail so it's easier for somebody to find me. But this was this was it. I pulled out my phone and I'm you know fingers are all messed up and I'm trying to enter in my passcode and I uh, was fumbling around with it and I'm trying to play music just to you know music helps me helps me sleep. So this is just yeah. perfect. Just play some music and let things happen. Well, I got my phone out and I was hitting trying to get on the music. Uh, Baby Shark came on, and uh, that's a song we we played for my daughter when she couldn't sleep or put her to bed. It soothed her. Well, that that song came on, and I'm laying there listening to it. Um, that kind of gave me a little bit extra willpower to get up. And on top of that, it was on repeat. So, <laughs> so I'm laying there in the rocks, and there's Baby Sharks playing. I got up, uh, I didn't stand, but I, I managed to crawl up the other side of the drainage, about probably about a half a half a kilometer or so up the side. And then I don't I only remember bits and pieces, but I remember crawling across that mountainside all the way to almost the main trail. Uh, it was a little steep for me to to walk because every time I go to stand up, I'd fall over, so I just crawled and from what the game wardens who did the investigation said, I pretty much crawled in a straight line across the mountainside. I crawled through deadfall, whatever. I just went in a straight line. Uh, and I, I want to rewind to the baby shark. Cause I, with a two year old and a four year old, I'm, I'm well aware of the song. It's played thousands of time and times in my house. <laughs> and I'm guessing it's not to do with the annoyance of the song, but what it stood for. Yeah, it definitely. It's more what it stood for. I mean, the song does get to you after a while, but <laughs> but that's not what motivated you, right? <laughs> no, it wasn't. That, it was that, just that reminded you of the baby at home waiting for you. Yeah, and at this point in time, it didn't matter if she was crying or screaming. I'd I'd been happy to be there. You would have rather been there than on the mountain for sure. And and definitely. she was just she was young at the time. How how old was she when this all went down? Uh, about six months, I think. About six months old. Yeah. So it was yeah, our, and, our first and, one, and the, actually the first time I was away from home with the wife and the little one. So uh, it was a kind of a a big step, a big jump. Yeah, yeah. Laying there in the laying there in the rocks there in the bottom, you're just thinking about you know you're gonna miss her graduation, weddings. That stuff kind of rolls through your head and gets to you pretty quick. Yeah, no kidding. It. Uh... That sort of thing, I, like uh, at 40 years old now, I always thought I was 10 feet tall and made of steel until I had kids. Then then <laughs> it brought my mortality in, in, into place. And now every time I get on a motorcycle, every time I head into the mountains for a, a, a three-day hike hunt, five-day whatever, that that thought always goes through my head. I got to come home to my kids. That's That's the motivation. And so that's why I had to stop and rewind this back to the baby shark because it's not about the song but it's about what that stood for and that uh arguably is probably the big thing that really pushed you to move forward that and your your loving wife at home definitely both of them were the huge part just trying to think of my wife trying to look after her little one by herself and just yeah. or or the whole ordeal would actually bug me the most was her having to wait for them to find me so she know what happened it's that time before you recorded missing and then they find you and knowing what happened. Like, yeah, 
that yeah. unsettling time. I didn't never wanted her to to live with that. So my goal was always just to make it further down the trail, so it's easier for somebody to find me. Because you didn't really um, expect to make it out alive, right? Well, I would. I didn't. I, my whole thought through my head was, I'm not going to make it, but let's just make it to just just make it to the next trail. Let's make yeah. it to the next drainage where more people go. I mean, yeah, there's only maybe one or two other people out there that would hike back in there, but just to make it to the next point where the trail's more traveled, I guess. Um, yeah. And then you'd make it to that point and then you'd make it to that point, but, and still had more energy. Yeah. That was the surprising part. When I got off of the mountainside and onto the main trail, I was like, okay, well, I don't have far to go until where I ran into the guys in the morning where their camp was. The two cowboys. The two cowboys. So I'm just like, okay, well, I'm going to head down to there and, and I'm stumbling through. I'm not moving very fast. I'm falling down, trying to keep up. And then I, get down to where the cowboys were i'm walking down that trail and i can't really talk i can only make funny noises and moan uh, yeah. my jaw was still hanging there and i couldn't see at all it was just i could see but not it was all fuzzy everything was way out of focus and okay. you just see dark and then what was light and so i stuck with the light area and i knew the trail well because i can hike it i was hiking in there in the middle of the night with no flashlights back and forth so i I knew relatively where it was when I got to the part where the Cowboys were, I'm walking down and I making noises and hollering and looking they weren't there. And I knew exactly where their campsite was. They're usually there every year. Yep. They weren't there. I'm looking and looking. They're not there. I can't see anybody. I can't hear any horses. Um, so that was very depressing when I got to there because I thought, okay, well, there's somebody who can get me out of here. Yeah. Uh, nobody there. So then my next thought was, okay, well, at least I'm at the main trail, but there's another mile or so to go before the trail splits. And then if I get to the, where the trail splits, every sheep hunter goes past that spot. So yep. there's, a, there's a good spot to make it to. So hiking, walking down that trail, there's a, a creek uh drops about five six feet and there's a little creek you have to cross it's it's kind of a nice little spot to sit and i usually fill up my water bottles there and well i get to that and i'm looking down and it's pretty sharp drop i fell down it face first into the creek and i'm laying there in the creek and i you know just kind of like drown and trying to drag myself out so i drag myself out of that and i climb up the other side and the other side is not too bad it's maybe about a three foot uh elevation over 10 feet uh, but i struggled to get up it and i got up and i hung onto this rock up there and just to hold myself to catch my breath and um that was another one of those moments where i thought you know i was getting really dizzy lightheaded that i probably was going to pass out yeah but i got up and kept moving and about another three kilometers four kilometers from there was the uh, an outfitter they used to come in there, they set up their camp in early August, and they're there till uh, end of October, and they're always there. But this morning when I rode past them, no one was outside the tent, so I figured they're all still sleeping, but I figured, well, that's my best chance. There's always somebody in that camp all the time, yep. so yep. I'm going to make it to there. Uh, when it got further down the trail, it gets to the creek, and it's all washed out and braided, and the trail... Well, this is the year after the flood. I think it was the year after the flood. 
that we had in uh, Alberta there where it totally flooded out Calgary. Anyways, yep. the whole area got washed out in the flats and the original trail was washed out. I wasn't quite sure where to go. So I decided to stick down the creek and just follow the creek down. I knew where the outfitter's camp was. I'd be able to recognize it. So I ended up walking down the creek. And at this point in time, my leg, my right leg was uh, pretty stiff and it was like dragging it. So I was just dragging across the rocks. And I remember getting up to deadfall would be in front of me and just trying to figure out, should I climb over it or go around it? Cause it's just so tired. And, and you know, most of the time I would, crawl over it try to get over it yeah uh, and so and then, in in this um you heading down the trail in my head it looks like one thing but i i don't think i'm thinking about it correctly are you on all fours crawling out this whole way are you kind of hobbling out on one leg dragging the other what what's going on physically at this point a little mixture of both uh nothing on the crawling on my knees it was more like an army crawl or yeah Standing up and dragging my right leg, kind of okay. one step and dragging my leg over. And did you have uh, anything as a crutch or anything like that? Or it was just a zombie walking the whole way? Kind of a zombie walk, more or less. I had my yeah. gun with me that was helping me hold up in, in spots. Yeah. Uh, most of it was just like a zombie walk. Wow. And and, and I, we're not we're not talking 500 meters here. If I remember correctly, your attack was, what, 16 or 17 kilometers from where you had parked? Correct. And yeah. uh, this outfitter's camp was uh, about five kilometers from where I parked. So this was, wow. I'd say, about yeah. half to three quarters of the way back. Yeah. Unbelievable. It, it, it's hard to think that you could army crawl and, and zombie walk 11K to this point after what you had been through. I mean, you had to have been leaking pretty badly like the blood loss just had to have been horrific i i remember in the book it talks about the way you had pulled your face up and wrapped that shirt around and contained some of the blood with toilet paper and stuff uh maybe maybe i'm jumping ahead here what did you do with with, with your your core and your leg like just did you do anything to try and stop the bleeding shortly after the attack or no i didn't realize those were that bad uh okay. I knew my leg it was all covered in blood all the way down the right side. I actually yeah. didn't really know about the puncture wounds on my side. I uh, realized how bad they were until later on. Okay. And at this point, at this point in time, it was still just my shirt uh, holding my head together and tied underneath my jaw. When uh, when I walked down the creek, I got to the outfitters, the outfitters tent, and they have a electric fence around the place. So I remember walking around the fence. And finding the gate. So I got in, uh, opened up the gate, and I got into the first tent, and there was nobody there. Um, so that was, that part sucked. That was, that oh, was hard. Shattering. <laughs> it's your, it's your hope. This is your hope that you can finally uh, release everything you've got going on to somebody else to now take care of you. And now there's nobody there to help. Nobody I, could, there. I, I couldn't imagine the heartbreak. And that was hard. And then I went to the next tent, opened it up, nobody there. And then I looked, I could looking for horses or, you know, trying to mumble around. And I knew they kept their horses, no horses there. And I was like, wow, this is, this is devastating. Yeah. Um, so then I, I got into the first tent, which is where they keep all their kitchen supplies and medical items, radios, usually. 
they had a big wooden cabinet and they had a fancy little lock on there and I was trying to get it and my hands are so messed up I couldn't I couldn't open it. So I just grabbed the cabinet, knocked it over and all these cans of soup and food came out rolling out and there was a, a black case. It looked like a like a a phone case, like old mic phone with the radio. Yep. I was so happy so I got that and I'm beating that against the cabinet trying to open it up and it opened it up and it was a, a Leatherman. <laughs> <laughs> I was so disappointed. I'm like, oh, no. And I'm trashing through their bins, just knocking everything over. It can't open up the bin, so I'm trying to knock it over, fall on the ground. And um, no radios in there. I found uh, toilet paper and or some, I think it was toilet paper, or almost like bounty sheets. And that was spilled out. And uh, there was this, like, a triangle-shaped can. And I remember... As a kid, these tri- my grandma used to have these triangle-shaped cans, and they were full of spam, like the, yep. the ham. And, I, yep. you know, at this point in time, I was so hungry, and I just I wanted to eat that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know why. It just I wanted to eat it. So I grabbed this can. You know, I got the little rolly thing on there. Well, I mean, that's impossible when you can't see or can't use your hands. Yeah, your, so, your hands are completely chewed up. Your face is torn up. How are you going to get into this can? <laughs> Yeah, I'm just so. Anyways, I'm beating that against the table, against the the cabinet, using another can. Finally, I get it open enough, and I peel it open. I'm like, okay, awesome. So I'm gonna go sit at the table now and eat. And and now all throughout this whole entire time, Baby Shark has been playing on repeat. <laughs> so don't forget about that. So I'm I'm sitting at this table. And I'm trying to eat, and I'm trying to put, get a chunk of ham and shove it inside my face. And as I'm doing this, blood is just dripping all over the table. And I got this rig, and I'm trying to wipe the blood off because it's, I don't know, it's like water dropping on what you're trying to work on. And, you know, it just drives you nuts. So there's just yeah. blood dripping everywhere. And I'm trying to wipe it up. And I just, like, it was frustrating. But I found toilet paper and I wrap my hands up in it and go, okay, well, that'll solve that problem. And so I'm trying to eat and I'm looking down and the blood's still pouring down from my head. And then I was like, okay, so I'm going to wrap that up. So I started wrapping that up and then they would just get soaked and it would fall down. <laughs> so then I found some tape. I thought it was like medical tape, but it was, they call it vet wrap, I guess. And it's what they use for horses to tape up their ankles. Yeah. Yeah. And so I found a roll of that, and so I just wrapped myself with more paper towel and toilet paper, and then I took the vet wrap, and I just kind of wrapped myself, my head around, and when I was doing that, I was trying to move my jaw over, because where I was sitting, it was kind of hurting and uncomfortable, so when I was moving it, it clicked into place, and it was like a total relief, like, I could move it again. Wow. Uh, and I was, like, I was like, ooh, test, test, you know, like, well, yeah. I could talk again. Yeah. <laughs> So then I got it set up and folded up some of the pieces of my face and just wrapped her up in the tape and, and then I continued eating my ham. And uh, during this process, I was very tired and exhausted and I kept almost like falling asleep. Uh, so I got on my phone and I could kind of see what I was doing. I set a timer on repeat for, I don't know, it was like 20 seconds or 30 seconds it was set for. But just it would beep and I'd have to go and stop it because uh, I didn't want to fall asleep. Right. And then I'm sitting there and trying to eat and didn't really know what to do. I found a, 
I found some juice boxes and I was like, oh, these are cool. <laughs> I got this big, this big bin full of juice boxes. I just started squirting those into my mouth and, uh, you know, great. I remember it was great flavor. It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> so this, what, what time are we talking now? Cause the mauling occurred, you said about nine, nine 30. And what time is it now? It's you've hiked out 10, 11 kilometers back to this camp. Now, what kind of time are we talking? I'm guessing this is probably around 1 2 o'clock ish. Yeah. Okay. And so when I was sitting in there and alarm set the alarm, uh, you know, I got really I was really tired and exhausted. I uh ate what I could and then I grabbed a sleeping bag and I laid it out on the floor, grabbed a pillow. And I opened up their stove, and they always had it set up for a fire at any given time. Matches right there. Yep. I was going to light a fire and just lay down. I was, at this point, I was really cold, uh, drained, extremely exhausted. So I laid everything out. And, of course, we got Baby Shark playing. And, and I sat there for a minute and then just decided, you know what, let's it's not that much further. Let's make it a little bit further down the road. Maybe the outfitters are coming into camp. Maybe they had to go pick up a hunter and they're coming in for the afternoon. So that's my thought. So I got to the table and I found a piece of paper and a Sharpie. And I felt bad because the place, there was blood everywhere, all over the tent. <laughs> <laughs> I totally trashed the inside of the tent, food everywhere. And so I wrote him a little, I wrote him a note. You know, like, hey, I'm sorry, <laughs> but I got mauled by a bear, so suck it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, I guess the note turns pretty dark on the backside where I told him I should call my wife and let her know I tried. Because I still, at this point, didn't think I was going to make it. Like, I, there was no chance of me making it. You know, I lost tons of blood just just remembering looking at remembering like looking down at the table and the chair I was in the just covered in blood and yeah. over the floor. I mean, that was hard. No kidding. So I, I got up and I went out the front of their front of the tent. I still had my gun and I looked in my pocket and I had, I think I had three more bullets left. And I was like, Oh hell, let's just fire off a couple bullets. Maybe, maybe somebody would hear and come. Fired off my last three bullets, put my gun inside the tent, and uh, there was still five juice boxes left in a little pack. And I was like, "Perfect! I'll grab those." And I know it's about five, you know, five or so kilometers on the way out. I'll just drink one every kilometer, and you know, go from there. Uh, <laughs> see how far you make it. See how far I make it. Yeah. It, this part of the trail from here on out, it was basically a road. Go walking down, and they had uh, they used to have well, no, there's a few signs, kind of like mile markers. There's you know sign to turn or old bridge. They're about all about a kilometer apart. And I just remember just drinking the juice box, save it for a certain section, and I drop it in the trail and keep going and open up the next one. And about every kilometer, I dropped one right in the middle of the trail, and also. On this trip, I started dropping clothing off, uh, like the sweatshirts I had over top of my shoulders and my jackets. I just started dropping them off because it's getting closer and closer to my vehicle. I didn't need as much stuff. Yeah. And so I, you know, dropped my water bottle. I had I was carrying a water bottle the whole time. Um, I don't know why, but I did. 
<laughs> so just dropping all those things off. And at the very near the end of the trail, you cross the creek again. I mean, you make a total of 11 creek crossings, I think it was, that I ordealed. So the yep. last one, you're going to cross the creek and you can go up, up the ridge, up and over. Or you could follow the creek down and then climb about 200 yards to the truck. I've never walked down the creek and hiked up to the truck, but I have an idea where to go. Yep. Um, I was just sitting there just trying to decide, and I figured, well, I know everybody walks down the trail, so let me, I'll just walk up the big hill. Um, I started to walk up the hill, and, and it's it's not a nice hill. Well, it wasn't a nice hill at the time. <laughs> <laughs> the, and it's fairly steep near the end. Uh, and there's two boulders on the trail that right in the middle of the trail. Every time I ride my bike down, I almost fall. I hit them. I've always been too lazy just to move them off of the trail. They're just, I don't know. They're just like a, a marker for me. And I remember walking up the hill and I get to the two boulders sitting there. And they're not very big. Maybe a little bit bigger than a soccer ball. Yep. And I remember seeing them and I was so excited going, hey, that's the top of the hill. Like, I'm almost at my truck. And to my surprise, I still had a juice box left. So I grabbed the last juice box. I was so excited. It just, the rocks are here. The hill's here. I've almost made it. I got another kilometer left till the truck, and it's all downhill. Like, this is exciting. So the last juice box is just sucked it right back, squirt in my mouth, dropped it on the rock, give, you know, kissed my hands and just touched the rock. And like, thank you. And I, I made it to my truck, uh, where the, my truck was parked. There's a, a gate that goes across the road and I got to that. And this is where I probably made this dumbest decision, even worse than fighting the bear. <laughs> <laughs> this gate, you know, standing looking at it, I can go 30 feet to the right side and walk in some water and get around the gate to my truck, or I can walk 80 feet on the other side around the gate. And then get to my truck. But no, I decided to crawl underneath the gate. <laughs> <laughs> and so I bent down to go underneath the gate. And as I was going underneath, I got real lightheaded real quick. Um, I started to kind of pass out. And there was a, a road sign there. And they have like the holes in the sign. The post yeah, was the hole in the in post. It. Yeah. Yeah. So I jammed my fingers into there and tried to grab one. To the sign because I knew if I fell over, I'd be like, I'd have been done. And yeah. I'm trying to hold on, trying to keep myself up. And I finally, I don't know, probably 10 minutes is kind of kneeling there, holding on. I actually had enough strength to get up and up, and I didn't pass out. So then I'm like, well, that was real stupid because that would have been, that have been it if I would have fell over. I don't think I would be able to get up. Uh, you make it all the way back to the truck and then make the decision <laughs> to crawl under the fence, and that's the end. That's the end, yeah. The yeah. dumbest thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get to my truck and I know I know I'm messed up. I know I, I don't look very pretty. Uh, so the first thing I did was really I pushed my mirror out of the way of my truck. And I, I was driving a Ford at the time and had the little pin code on the side. And yeah, you know, I'm one of those guys that locks their keys in their truck, so this is perfect for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't remember to grab my keys when I was uh in my pack from when I got mauled, so I always had a spare set in the truck. Mm -hmm. So I uh, typed in the code, opened up the door, and I 
tried to climb in. Well, I got into the seat, and I, and then I just grabbed the rear view mirror and pushed that away so I couldn't see anything. Grabbed my keys and I started up the truck. And I'm like, okay, awesome. I looked forward and I couldn't see the end of the hood. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is great. I rolled down the window and I stuck my head on. I looked down to the ground and I I couldn't see the ground. I couldn't tell where the ground was. And I had my eye kind of held up so I could look somewhat forward. But I still yeah. had my head kind of tilted back at about a, I don't know, probably a 20 to 30 degree angle so I could see forward. Yeah. And so I, I knew the road quite well. Uh, when I was looking out the front window, I could just see like green and dark green and then a light patch. And I go, well, the light patch has to be the road. So, aim for the middle of that light patch. Aim for the middle. Yeah. <laughs> I remember driving down the road. I felt like I was hitting the rocks, the trees, the ditch. Everything was so bumpy. Uh, there was spots on this road where it just drops off to the cliff. There's no guardrails, barriers. It's like a, a little bit better than a two-rut well road. It, uh, you know, it's got some hairpin turns, lots of, yeah. I don't know, uh, the old road going to Golden back in the early 2000s or in the okay. 90s. Yeah. That's what it was like driving on, but gravel. Gotcha. Uh, so driving all down that, you got around the hairpin turn and then getting closer to uh, civilization, I guess. There's a bunch of lodges all the way down the beginning part of that road. Like there's Mountaineer Lodge and Sunset Resort, Panther River. They happen to be the one that's farthest, the closest to me. And the week, it was a couple days before, we actually stopped in there and ate lunch at Panther River. So I kind of knew the place where to go. I drove down the road and I found, I found their driveway in which I don't know to this day how I did because it's kind of kind of a tricky way to get in. Yep. I drove in and I tried to park beside another vehicle and I couldn't, I didn't want to hit them. So, and I felt bad. So I just ended up driving right up to the lodge where, you know, I'm not supposed to drive. So I parked <laughs> my truck <laughs> right at the base of the, at the, at the ramp and hiked up this ramp. And it's a little kind of like a round, uh, viewing room with the diner and on this deck and they got a very low roof with all these with the logs sticking out every four or five feet and if you're you know I'm tall enough that I can smack my head on them so I'm walking along and there's this glass all the way around it's like a big hexagon I guess and I'm walking like a zombie dragging my legs and I got my head tilted so I don't hit the sides uh, I see like a shadow or a Somebody was sitting there at the table and they jumped up quickly. You know, I could just see the motion. Yeah. They come around, coming around to the front door and I open up the door and I'm hobbling in and I'm like, hey, I need some help. And the ladies, there's uh, two ladies there. Well, not, not right away. When I walked in, I could just hear this little kid, uh, uh, mommy or grandma, somebody's playing a prank. And I'm like, no, I just got mauled by a bear. Cause you know, walking in like a zombie and covered in yeah. blood. Uh, so the two ladies come out and they're like, Oh my God, what, what can I do? And I, I'm like, here's my wallet. Here's my name. Here's my phone. Call my wife. And I need yeah. a, 
Glass of water, medium temperature, no ice. (laughs) 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 And and, and the first one that saw you was what, an eight year old boy? Yeah, eight year old boy. Yeah, he was who who ran to get his his sister's help or something, who was the manager Uh, at the time. Ran ran to go get his grandma, who uh, was working there. And then he went and ran and got his mom, who was actually taking in getting prepared for a wedding that was supposed to happen right uh, right around the time that I arrived. You showed up. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> they got me this glass of water, and I was trying to call my wife, I guess, trying to FaceTime her, and it wasn't yeah. working. Um, I don't know, maybe because it didn't have a face. I don't know, but it wasn't working. Then uh, – uh, I gave them all my ID. They're on the phone and I'm on one and I'm drinking my water and um, I was dripping blood over the place and I was on the floor with a paper towel trying to clean up the blood. And the one lady's like, you don't have to do that. Like, just, just relax. Right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, right. And that was the, uh, the first person to see me, the nine-year-old boy. So you got his mom. She come in there. Um, her name was Amanda, and the other lady working there, Carmen, they said, let's get you out of there because they had a wedding party that was coming in. Um, so then uh, they got me to my truck and drove me around to the backside of, my, uh, backside of their place to kind of keep me away from all the guests and then and the wedding party. Yeah. Um, so then they moved me off to the side. Yeah. Uh, they were running back and forth on the phone to 911 stars. And I just remember everybody just running back and forth and panicking. And I, and I kept telling them like, Hey guys, just calm down. I've made it this far. Not that big of a deal. I'm just missing my face. Just, you know, like <laughs> I want to make it out of here. I made it this far. Yeah. Just keep trying to keep everybody calm. Uh, Cause it was at this point, I knew I was going to make it. Now, at this point, I was relaxed. I knew I was going to make it. I made it this far. Uh, I was really more worried about having to do first aid on somebody trying to help me yeah. than I was about to bear. So, mm-hmm. everybody running back and forth. Uh, there was an 18-year-old girl that they sat with me next to the truck or sat with me in the truck. And just talking to her, and she would never look look at me. And uh, you know, we're just trying to have a conversation, and she doesn't know what to say. You know, I don't have a face, and it's really hard to talk. Yeah, <laughs> it's tough to come up with topics that outside of so. How's your day? <laughs> yeah, like, you, you, do you have a boyfriend? Do you have a dog? What do you do for fun? <laughs> do you plan on having your face back? What's what are your yeah. thoughts on this? Like, oh, I, I I couldn't imagine how how she felt. I mean, her account in the book is, is pretty crazy too. And, um, and, and, and just what she must've been going through trying to keep you awake. Cause I guess that's kind of the main thing now is don't let you fall asleep now that you are at a point of relaxation, right? Correct. And, and then at the, also at the time, I know I had an, just the juice boxes yep. to drink. Well, in the floor of my truck, I had two Gatorades. And I was like, can you open this? So they opened up the Gatorade and I grabbed, a, a, they had it got me a straw and I just sucked back the whole Gatorade right away. Yeah. And what the lady said that uh, after I drank the Gatorade, I started to bleed 
a lot again. Like it started to really bleed and they could tell that I was relaxed. Like I felt safe because I just, I wasn't really bleeding when I got there. And then all of a sudden I just started to really bleed again. Okay. Pretty, pretty worried. And the owner of the lodge, she's same age as me. She ended up calling her dad who had a helicopter and said like, you need to come here and get, get him out guy. of here. Like, yeah. Well, well, because well, they had called for an ambulance numerous times and they couldn't figure out where you were, right? Like 911 just, they're like, ah, uh, well, and they, they couldn't put A to B to figure out where to come pick you up. So they're like, and they, STARS was, because they, they initial, initially called STARS, but STARS was delayed or, or couldn't land there or something. There was something was, going on that they couldn't show up. Yeah, they were busy and then something about high winds and when in Edmonton was was on a job in Calgary they couldn't fly or yeah I, I'm not sure the whole story on that I kind of stayed away from that yeah yeah <clears throat> and so she called her dad who's a pilot and who was elsewhere but dropped everything to, to come and get you correct and he, he landed right there uh, they got me out of the vehicle and they I just remember they're getting me into the helicopter they put a tarp all across the helicopter I thought it was kind of funny I mean it's it's a pretty nice helicopter. They got this big blue tarp inside, and they're like, "Sit here." So, uh, <laughs> quit leaking everywhere. You're gonna make a mess. Yeah. So I'm sitting in the helicopter, and uh, Amanda's beside me. She's the owner. That was her dad, and she just she was devastated and trying to stay calm. And I'm in the helicopter. I'm looking out the window, um, and I get this sharp poke, and I turn and look at her, and I'm. She was trying to, she thought I was falling asleep. So I was looking out the window. I mean, I couldn't see anything, but I'm trying to see. Yeah. I yeah. You're in a helicopter. Poke. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I turn and look at her and then she'd pull the tarp up and I'm like, well, what the, what's your problem? So I look out the window again and I get another short poke. I'm like, what? And then hold the tarp up. Well, I guess I was coughing and blood was out everywhere. And so she thought I was falling asleep. So she's trying to wake me up. And then when she turned, she, I was bleed gushing blood everywhere. So she was trying to stop you from spraying and, it on her. Yeah. Yes. So I was like, I was just so agitated. Like, what do you do? What do you want? You know, like you can't, I got, uh, I don't know. I didn't have any earmuffs on, so I couldn't hear her anyways. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's just funny. Every time I look over, there's this blue thing in my face. I'm like, well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, we get to Sundry. Uh, and uh, we they land the the helicopter in Sundry, and then there was just like it was mad chaos. Well, not really. At first, it was it looked seemed pretty calm. And I remember that my side of the helicopter door opening up, and someone go, "Oh shit!" Like it just, and then chaos struck. Yeah. So they're trying to get me out of the helicopter, and uh, I'm in a lot of pain. My leg is now stiffened up, and I can't bend it to get it out of the helicopter. And people are pulling on me. And Amanda's yelling at him. She's like, hey, guys, stop. Like, he got in. He can get out. Leave him be. He can get out. Uh, and then I guess one of the doctors or nurses tried cutting around the back of the helicopter, but they have an open blade in the back. Tail rotor. Yeah. Yeah. Tail rotor. So she's tackling them, trying to keep them away from the open rotor. And so, and then I'm trying to get out of the helicopter and I'm turning to get out. And then all of a sudden, I just felt these arms come up behind me and like bear hug me and then just drag me out the other side of the helicopter. Well, wow. I mean, that was, I was pretty quick. And then they throw me in a gurney and take me in the front door. And, uh, I was sitting in there and there was a, an older guy that was, uh, sitting in the, 
in the emergency room. Now, this is a small town emergency room, so the emergency beds are like literally where you come in and wait. So <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting there, and there's only like a they have like a like a screen hanging there. So I'm sitting there, and this older guy's there. I guess he had some was having heart problems, but he's like, "Yeah, you can go first. You know, like uh, this is I don't have chest pains anymore." So. <laughs> Uh, I'm in so I'm, I'm laying in there and they're stripping me down literally naked uh they're checking on my side my knee um they were poking at my head and i was fighting with them saying look at don't take that off unless you're gonna do something right away like don't touch it uh the one doctor was bending my knee and it, the pain was just severe and i was yelling you know manda's in there she's like just leave him be like you know like what are you gonna do and uh they were trying to figure out what to do with me and this the same nurse that took me out of the helicopter her husband got bit by a bear several years ago and he had massive infections from the bacteria and that they got so oh yeah because they're such so filthy animals put, correct yeah and so so she decided first thing to do is to drill into my collarbone and put a i don't know what's uh some kind of stud in there and then she injected um some antibiotics in me yeah, and that's just just from what her husband went through. She she did that. Uh, then they loaded me up in an ambulance, and then sent me down to Calgary, uh, which is what an hour away. Uh, hour and a half. Ugh. Yeah, that was kind of frustrating. So now this this would be right around four thirty ish, four forty five ish. Okay. Maybe a little bit later. Uh, so they threw me in an ambulance. And uh, laying down the gurney, every time my head would be touched the pillow, it would it'd be excruciating pain, so I wasn't able to lay down. So they had one of the young doctors in there actually hold my head together and kind of cradle it when I laid down. And my whole face was rearranged. and Yeah. And that, I remember, his name was Jamie. He was the... The uh, the ambulance uh, EMT, he's in there, and he's like telling me like, don't talk, just lay there, you know. Let me know if you need air or suction because the blood was dripping down my face. Um, well, they were pretty breathing. concerned about you drowning in your own blood, weren't they? That was one of the big concerns at this point. Now, one of the yeah biggest concern was that or me going into cardiac arrest. Uh, so the air was flowing through the upper part of my nose, kind of between my eyes and the top part of my nose. That's where the air was coming out. So we couldn't figure out where to intubate me from if they had to. They were kind of puzzled at that, right? Like, where do, they, where do you put the mask? And and then we came up with uh, hand signs because Jamie, he wouldn't let me talk at all. He just, no, you just, you know, like, uh, you know, two fingers or or the thumb through your two fingers is uh, suck your, like I'll do suction on your nose or yep. your mouth is make like bark like a dog. So we had these hand signals of what, to, of what needed to be done. Yep. And so the whole way, the whole way down, you know, hear the, hear the sirens and they're just flying down. It seemed like it was only like a 10 minute ride, but uh, well, must've been a lot longer than that. <laughs> yeah. Just before we got to the hospital, I got really nauseous and was like ready to throw up. Um, so they gave me something to try to stable me, and 
And then they brought me in on the emergency room in the Foothills Hospital in Calgary. At the time, the Foothills Hospital was doing renovations on their emergency room part. So I had to come through where normal patients come through. Yeah. So the wheeled me in a gurney past uh, my wife, my mom, my sister, my sisters, they're all sitting there waiting at the hospital and they pushed me through them uh, into the back. And that was, uh, that was pretty hard for, well, my whole family seeing me missing. That, that was one of the tough parts for me to read as well. And I've got a note written down here specifically on that is when your mother saw you, I think, through the ambulance window when you first pulled up and she was there. And it, it, it to be in what says, a woman looked through the window and, and pulled back in aghast or something along those lines. And then it turns out it was your mom seeing you for the first time after you've been shredded by a grizzly um that again that's the whole the whole familial the the, the family seeing in distress that's to me some of the toughest things to read about because that whole emotional connection um and and, and so that was that was really hitting and i mean that was even before your your wife got there which was the next part that was just for me quite emotional her wanting to see you even though you're in a such a state of um that they didn't want her to see you um but yeah so so your mom uh she I, sorry i i didn't mean to jump in there but that to me was nope. one of the again one of the really emotional parts so the so that after do we need do we need to take a, a break for a minute are you, no, are you running out of battery yeah i'm just wondering why my plug's not working oh there it goes Okay. <laughs> I had to do that too. I, I saw, I'm like, oh, where, where is it? Because I'm not in my office at the moment. Uh, there was someone else. I share it with someone. So I, I came, jumped to a, a spare office to do this podcast. But um, there will be minor technical difficulties. That's all part of the doing podcasts. Yeah. So the family, the, the, you're now at the hospital. Your whole family made it there, um, or a good portion of your family made it there before you got there, correct? Correct. And they were all waiting for me. Uh, I believe my wife was out. She was coming home from work or a function, and the RSMP called her and said, "You know, look, uh, your husband was involved in a bear mauling. Um, <coughs> blah blah blah. He's on his way to the hospital, and that's all I can report on." Yeah. I remember her saying that she was very devastated getting that phone call. I mean, I mean, who wouldn't be, right? Yeah. No kidding. So, uh, so they. Brought me into the back, and there was a the emergency doctor was there right away. Uh, I remember they Jamie was talking to the doctor and letting him know my uh, you know heart rate and blood pressure. I guess it was pretty much perfect, you know, seventy eight over one twenty and like seventy four beats a minute. And he's like, wow. no, that can't be right. So yeah. he checked it a few times and finally he's like, okay, whatever, that's what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> and he's asking like, what happened and. Jamie was trying to tell me, like, don't talk, you know, just, so he started talking. The doctor says, can he talk? He goes, yeah. Okay, well, let him speak. <laughs> <laughs> so sure, at this tell. point, how, how are you, so your jaw was broken in multiple places, right? And it was dislocated. Now you've put it back into place. So everything works, functions well enough to be able to talk. Not, not really like how we're talking now, but enough that you can understand. Yeah. And, and I mean, your lips are also shredded, right? 
Correct. So that while and, they were gone, it yeah. was just like my teeth. So how, you could, how did you? you sorry, how, how did you drink through a straw without lips for suction? Oh, just squeezing it. I would squeeze the, okay. Okay. dump it in or squeeze it in. Yeah. 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 Um, so telling the doctor what happened, like I'm all by bear, telling the story, what's going on and, and, uh, and that. And then I said, I wanted to talk to my wife before we, before they did anything. And they said, okay, we're going to bring her in. I said, but you got to cover my face. Like, I'm not going to let her see me like this. So they brought her in. They had a, a towel over. And then I think the first thing I said to her was like, I'm sorry. You know, I, sorry, I got mauled by a bear and, and that I miss him. Um, it was a very quick, a very quick uh, conversation. And I didn't think I was going to make it through the surgery. Like I made it this far, but I was, I had a fear of, going under and not waking up. Yeah. And so this was, I guess, kind of like a goodbye. And then she left and came back to the waiting room. And then uh, Jamie, the uh, EMT, I actually asked him if he could give my wife and and uh, my wife his number to contact him after. Just, you know. Uh, <clears throat> so when he left the room, the, the room – to come out front and talk to my wife, he actually broke down in tears and was crying and he couldn't speak to my mom or my wife at the time. He just was lost. And my wife and mom were like, what happened? Like, I just saw him two minutes ago. He was fine. Like, did he die? Like what's going on? Yeah. So he broke down and, and then uh, gave her my number and said, no, no, he, this is, he's fine. It just this is, it was really emotional for him. Cause he said I was one of the worst people has ever dealt with that actually was 100% coherent and was able <laughs> to keep on a conversation. And I, it blows my mind that your blood pressure was and a heartbeat were where they should be after leaking blood for however many hours, hiking out, and it's pumping out of your body. That's, yeah, yeah. Un, that's crazy. I don't know what what saved me or you know why I'm still here today. But Yeah, yeah. Ugh. <clears throat> so that right after, right after um, talking to my wife, they rushed me in for a CAT scan. And laying in the hospital bed, I, you know, I was pretty scared all by myself. Um, at the whole point in time, I had, you know, Amanda tell Sundry, and then I had Jamie there who, and the other doctor that was holding my head the whole time. So I felt comfortable and safe. Uh, but this was now just porters and nurses pushing me around and sitting there waiting for, you know, the CAT scan or CT scans. So during that process, one of the doctors came up to me and a lady and she held my hand and she told me what was going to happen. They're going to put me through this. And I told her not to leave me. And all I can remember is she had green eyes. I just because she's right in my face, and I could see that she had green eyes. So I always thought of her as the green-eyed, green-eyed girl. And um, so they put me through the CT scans and everything else. She held my hand pretty much the whole time. We got into the uh, the uh, surgery room, and they had me in the surgery room. Uh, there was uh, it sounded like an Aussie guy in there, and he's 
I was telling him, you know, I was pretty scared. They're giving me some fluids to pouring fluids down, um, kind of like charcoal or like a. It's know, to like stop you from like puking, a, isn't it? It, it? It's like a charcoal mixture to absorb anything that could be left in your stomach. I, I only know this because I've had a friend that went through a bad incident and they wanted to suck everything out of his stomach. But I, I, I don't know. Is that kind of what they were doing? Yeah, I'm not sure. It's like a, I don't know, it tasted like charcoal, kind of gross. And yeah. they're giving it to me. I'm like, oh, this is like drinking Jack Daniels or something. I made a comment. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and uh, it was you know, I was scared and they give me this stuff. And I remember this Aussie guy saying, don't worry, buddy, I'm right here. And he was rubbing my feet while they were <laughs> going to uh, knock me out. And uh, there was a brown-eyed a brown-eyed doctor, a female doctor, and a green-eyed female doctor. One on each side, massaging my hands. And I had the Aussie guy at my feet. Well, he sounded Aussie. <laughs> and then the, they put a, a mask over me and uh, to count backwards. And I... Kind of passed out, but not really. I was wide awake for the whole surgery. Um, the doctor who put me together, Dr. Nickerson, he came in oh, partway through. Because uh, at first they stitched my knee up and then my hand. Then he came in after. And I remember him talking to his group, his team there, about what they're going to do. And he had a big beard. Like he had like a biker's beard and these big thick glasses, uh, like not thick glasses, but thick rim glasses. Yep. They were black. And I just remember his big beard. He looked like a biker and he was through the <laughs> surgery. Who's this badass remember, looking dude about to cut me up? Yeah. So and he's a, he's not a small guy either. He's probably the same height as me. Maybe yeah, he's about the same height as me. He's a solid, he's a solid guy. Yeah. Uh, then. I just remember laying there and they had the light above me and I can't move. I could see my face, like parts of it. They're sewing it together. Um, that was, oh, that was not, it's like being on saw, I guess. They're like cutting you up, but you can't. <laughs> and you weren't under at this point or were you on your way? Were they about to put you under or what, what, no, what I, was going I was, on there? I think I was, well, I was supposed to be fully out, but I wasn't. I was still... Like, I oh, remember, hearing. can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear oh. me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, good. I just I picked was... up the phone because there was, because someone was paging up here. Sorry. So I just oh, picked it okay. up and hung it up. Uh, I, I was fully under, but not. Like, oh, I okay. couldn't feel anything. I, I couldn't move, but I could see what's going on around me. Yeah. It's a, it's a very weird weird experience weird feeling i was in there i think i was 12 hours for the first surgery and then the next day i'm in the they moved me to icu and my whole family's there my wife was there a, a good friend of mine uh was also in the room when i woke up yeah. and of course the first thing i do when they woke when they uh tried to wake me up i tried pulling out the tubes and everything and fighting with everybody because it's just shock and yeah um that's when things got real, real difficult, real tough, real scary, real fast. Um, every time I'd go to sleep or kind of drift off nightmares, you know, bears chewing on me. So I'd wake up flailing or, or um, just scared 
totally days not know where I am. That that was hard, and you know, my wife and my good friend to be there and see me just totally lost. waking up in terrors. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, that was tough. Uh, I mean, that's the first thing I remember, and, and I remember too. After a couple hours of being awake, they'd come in and they asked me uh, how much pain I was in. You know, well, I'm missing lots of stuff, so obviously going to be in a lot of pain. But they would ask me, and I, I would tell them, uh, you know, well, the pain is unbearable. And they're like, well, give me a number between, you know, one and ten. Ten being the worst pain you ever experienced, and one being nothing. I said, well, it's it's unbearable. And they're like, um, we need a number between one and ten. I'm like. You know, unbearable. <laughs> They're like, shut up. Get <laughs> <laughs> the humor through it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the, I was on some, obviously some wicked drugs. Uh, yeah. I had a, the first, that first day I had a, a doctor who, um, I'm not sure what ethnology was, but he was, he was brown. And I'm like, are you brown? Because I could see, you know, I was, I could actually, you know, and it was, I was, my wife saying, I was really, high. it seemed like I was really high at the time. The doctor was really good about it. He goes, yeah, I am. I'm here to help you, blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> I feel kind of bad today about it, but no, the doctor is pretty good. He's like, oh no, it's just the stuff he's on. He's fine. Um, <laughs> but that, that was like the, the first day, the first, the first night was really, really tough. Uh, the flashbacks and nightmares were horrendous. Um, my good friend is a, a social worker. So he, one of the first things he did when I got there was he would <clears throat> massage my feet. That was just like the only part of me that didn't have any damage to it was my feet. And <clears throat> when I come out of surgery, my whole left arm was in a cast or in like a foam cast all the way up to my shoulder. My right leg was in a cast up up to my hip, my fingers on both hands were, or my, on my right hand was completely covered. So you can see, you can only see one of my fingers sticking out of the bandage. And on my left hand, you can only see my pinky sticking out with a big rod because it was all broken and shattered. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think I had any fingers at all. Uh, I thought I was missing my right leg because I couldn't feel it. I couldn't move it. I, there was nothing there. Wow. <clears throat> so having the nightmares, uh, my uh, good friend, he would be at the end of the bed and he would massage my one foot. My left foot was the only thing that didn't have damage and he'd be, or the tips of my toes on my right, and he'd be, you're in a safe place. You know, it's okay. You're you're safe now. And he showed my wife how to do that. And anybody that came into the room, he would just always, if he's having a nightmare, just do this. Just because it, just to train your body to get out of it. Yeah. Uh, after, during that day, or after that day, next day I got really pale and cold. I was complaining about being really cold and I was pale and didn't look too well. My wife said, he's not, I'm not looking, she, she was telling the doctor that he don't look very good. He's not, he's not okay. Mm -hmm. uh, she figured that we needed blood and she said like, you know, do, like, do we need to give him blood or anything? Uh, and the nurses, they end up getting one unit of blood. And I, I guess I perked right up after I got my color back and I felt better. Uh, and then they, soon after that, they took me away. 
And I went for round number two for fixing my face. <laughs> and and so uh, I was in for another 12, 13 hours. They stapled my ear back on. Um, and this is the, the day first... after? Like, this is only 48 hours or so since, right? This this will be, uh, yeah, uh, day three. Okay. This will be the third yeah. day in hospital. Yeah. Uh, the, the first... The first uh, Surgery, they put in new eye sockets and steel eye sockets, fixed a lot of the bone and put most of my skin back on and part yep. of my ear. Uh, the second surgery, they did more work to my face, my ear, uh, back of my head. They kind of tightened everything up, kind of adjusted it, tried to make me look as pretty as possible without seeing a before picture of me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so then they uh, took me in. After that surgery, they took me into uh, uh, Unit 33, the burn unit in the Foothills Hospital. Well, no more in ICU, just had a room they moved me into with somebody right away. I remember my sister was really mad at him, my younger sister, and she was like, he needs to be in his own room, he can't have this. I, you know, I was having flashbacks all the time. and Yeah. Uh, so they ended up moving me to a private room, and then from there... We had to have somebody with me 24-7 just because of the flashbacks, uh, waking up in tears and trying to get that under control. And uh, I wasn't, I didn't have any strength to sit up, to move around, move my hands, nothing. I was basically a vegetable just laying there and uh, I had to be fed. I don't think I ate the first four days being in there. I don't think I ate anything at all. Wow. Uh, um, I don't think I was expected to make it that long. I think everybody was kind of wasn't sure. It was kind of touch and go. Yeah. And so uh, were you on an IV? Like, were they feeding you through an IV up until then or not at all? Not at all. No, I had an IV for, uh, for pain meds and, uh, any, um, in stuff for infections. Yep. And then I had a catheter and that was really it. Everything else. It was just pain and antibiotics is, is all they were shooting into you. Yeah. Keeping you alive. Yeah. The, yeah. the bare minimum. <laughs> yeah. Bare minimum. <laughs> so I like, I think it was like the fourth night or fifth night. My older brother was there with my, there and my wife uh, and my daughter. And they had like this applesauce stuff that they were using to feed my daughter. And so, yeah. uh, I was hungry and I was, they, uh, squirted some of that in my mouth and I was like, Oh, this is really good. So my, I remember my brother went to the Safeway and went like bought a whole case of it, come back. And he was just like feeding me, <laughs> just like consuming <laughs> everything in sight. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't really open my mouth. Uh, my jaw, everything was not wired shut, but, uh, so stiff and kind of like locked in place. Like it only had about yeah. like a fingers width. I can open it. Anything okay. with a straw, so sucking things back. Um, so was yeah, the bone itself then, not broken, like the jawbone? Was it all intact? Just, it was all intact, just uh, all just the muscles dislocated. From, yeah, and all the muscles from up in my side, of my face were ripped off on the one side. So yeah, they gotcha. So, yeah. Uh, so then uh, every morning. My wife would get there early in the morning to be able to feed me, you know, the porridge or try to feed me what I could because I couldn't, I couldn't even sit up. 
Yep. That was the first week. And one day I she got there late and the porter got the food and set me up with a tray. And I remember I got the button on the bed and was able to push it with my one hand and got it up and I was leaning over the tray with my face kind of stuck right in there and just trying to slurp up the <laughs> slurp up my <laughs> little porridge. I was so excited for it. And my wife walked in and she's like, oh my God, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm just <laughs> trying to eat. <laughs> <laughs> On my own, little independence here. A little bit, yeah. You know, with her, with our, with our uh, daughter trying to look after that, coming to the hospital, it was very overwhelming for her. So uh, between her and my good friend, my mom and my older sister, they did shifts. So she yep. was always there for me. Yeah. That went on for probably the first, two weeks and then um and then it was just my wife then she would take break she would have some of her own time because you know this was very hard on her to see me in like this and reading uh, and her reading her journal which is very brave of her to be able to put that into the book because it's so personal what a person writes in a journal and so there's quite a few excerpts and, and i want to say she kind of does one per day uh, for for a chunk of time while you're in there and seeing her emotional ups and downs is tough and the struggles that she went through and um, wanting to put herself in your positions and, and I mean some 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 dark moments that she experienced um, just not on your behalf but in wanting wanting to be able to see what it was like what you went through and then trying to uh, see. I don't even know how to put it without actually rereading it, which we're not going to do at, at this point. But it's it's very brave of her to put her journal entries in there. And, and again, this is one of those things that I'll say buy the book and you can uh, see what she went through and and read that. But it's 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 quite emotional and um, it just shows how strong her love for you and, and, and her dedication to you. I mean, she struggles with the whole um, are we going to be able to make it through this as a couple? And anytime there's something major that occurs in a relationship like this, there's people that don't make it through or, and, and she was just so fortunate that you didn't, um, there was no brain damage and you were still the same person after the fact, even though you've been through this crazy emotional and physical event, you were still the same person inside. And so, I mean, reading her get into the in, in intricacies of, of what's going on in her head and the daily struggles that she had was, is pretty, pretty tough and pretty emotional. So. Um, kudos to her to be able to let those feelings become public like that. Yeah, it's, it's a very good read and it's a very tough read. I really struggle reading through it. I haven't read it all hundred percent fully all the way through. I just bits and pieces cause it's for me, it's really tough. It's, she's yeah. a wonderful woman. Yeah. Uh, getting back to the whole PTSD and waking up in night terrors. Is that something you still deal with today or how long did that last before it kind of phased out? Uh, it never really phased out. Uh, last year, about April, I got into a program, uh, ART, uh, it was Exhilarated Rapid. Oh, the nickname is ART and it's okay. for PTS, PTSD. It was one of my when I was in the hospital, that's the first thing I asked for was help um, because of the night terrors, and I wanted yep. help right away because that you know that's that's tough. Yeah, 
it wasn't it wasn't until last year about April I actually got in to see a a, a therapist for ART decided to give it a try in the first eight hour or the first session was 45 minutes. I was able to sleep eight hours that night, no problems. And I haven't had eight hours of sleep in the three and a half years after the attack. Like wow. I'd wake up four or five times at night. I'd have them during the day. I yeah. woke up in my backyard underneath my deck in the middle of the winter time, crawling away from a bear. Um, you know, falling down the stairs and having having flashbacks while I'm walking down the stairs and falling down. Um, I remember a few times of, you know, tossing and turning and having the flashbacks and knocking myself out on the, like the nightstand. And um, <clears throat> it, it was a constant, constant worry for my wife, like constantly. Uh, if I fell asleep on the couch, if she would to wake me, if uh, she would have touched me on my shoulders or anything, I would freak right out and go straight into a flashback. Yeah. She'd have to squeeze my feet and wake me up that way. Yeah. Um, my daughter being really young, you know, a year or two years old, of course you're sleeping. She'd run over and want to play or jump on you or, you know, play with her dolls on you. And, Few times I've woken up and flailing, my wife trying to hold me down because you know I'm wanting me to hit my daughter, and at that part, right. that's that's the roughest part. Yeah, yeah, the recovery and and moving forward after what you went through. Yeah, the the nightmares. I'm glad they ended. I only had two in the last oh, at least eighteen months, okay. and they were super light. Uh, my wife told me like a couple times that I've tossed and turned and started making noises. And usually she jumps up right away and wakes me up by squeezing my feet. But yep. she said I went away pretty quick. I don't, I don't recall any of them to the last, yep. but she said twice she thought she was pretty certain I was, but it wasn't severe enough for her to wake me up. Okay. And even so after the ART, I was playing a hunting game with my daughter and we we're running through. It was like deer hunter, Cabela's big game hunter, and yep. running through hunting caribou, and all of a sudden this grizzly bear jumps on you. And my wife was, she saw it, and she's like, "Uh oh," because you know, like waiting for me to jump into a a flashback. She was yeah, com completely scared and didn't know what to do, and she kind of really monitored me. And then uh, we played that round and got a little bit further in the game, and then I just turned it off and. That was it. That night, my wife stayed up all night long because she knew it was going to be an awful night, but I never had any nightmares. It, I was, it was super surprising. Yeah. The, so the it, tea, so like, you slept through the night, even after that. Even after that. And I told my therapist about it and she was like, really? I'm like, yeah. I mean, I couldn't even look at a bear before and I'd get a flashback. Now I'm able to play a video game with a bear attacking me and not yeah. have not have it excite me or well that's excellent that the treatment was working it was you know i did three sessions and wow what a life changer like what definitely a life changer so did you find after that attack i mean with such physical um physical attacks and ch and, and changes to your body, did you have any long-term changes, uh, I want to say physiologically, 
are 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 you the same person and and I don't mean because you've been through an attack but did it affect your nervous system or anything like that be, after the attack did you come out um more emotional or anything like that uh, no emotional wise still pretty much the same person I don't think okay. I've changed yep. uh physically well my eyes don't close this is uh we mean the eyes closed so okay my yeah. eyelids don't fully, fully close. close. Yeah. Uh, it's hard for me to close my eyes independently, but now I can. It makes okay. it a little bit easier to hunt or be able to yeah. shoot a bull again. My pinky on my left hand is uh, well, it's still there, but it sticks out. So if I go to grab anything, it'll stick out. And it's gotcha. hard for me to bend it in. So I, I'd have to yeah. you know, close it. Um uh, the tendons in my right leg, all of them severed. So I got a brace I'm supposed to wear lots or unless I keep my legs in good shape. Like yeah. ride my bike, do lots of walking. Yeah. Helps. Uh, helps them. There's still quite a few challenges on a day-to-day -day basis. I, yeah. I, a, lot of, a lot of hard work and physio, physiotherapy has helped me overcome a lot of them. I, yep. I don't have feeling in my left hand and my fingertips on both hands. My left leg, I don't have feeling in spots. Whole yep. left side of my face, don't have feeling. Top of my head, it's in it's in spots. Okay. Uh, it to this day, I still like to be able to take a shower and be able to feel your hands running through your hair, but I it's spotty. Yeah. Like if you wore, it's like if you wore a helmet in the shower and tried to wash your hair and you just can't feel it. it right. You don't miss it until it's gone. No kidding. Yeah. So to this day, that's still, I would like to have that feeling again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and the only reason I ask that is, again, just with talking to Robbie Austin about his um, mauling. And I think it was more because he, it, it punctured an artery in his, in his uh, neck and he had a little bit of a stroke. But he said, basically, he's not more emotional um he's not more emotional but he cries when he talks about things without even thinking about it. like he's like i don't feel like i'm tearing up but just the tears are running down my face and he says so don't don't be alarmed if we're talking about this and then i i, I start to cry because i'm not i'm fine talking about it but he said there, there are definitely changes that have occurred physiologically with after his attack that that he says it's just it's what he now lives with and it's it didn't change him as a person it's just he's noticed some changes with his how his body reacts after the mauling as well how how long were you in the hospital before you were able to go home uh five weeks and eight hours and 23 minutes i think <laughs> you got that nailed <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah it was only five weeks uh it, when I first was in there, they figured it'd be early November or late November to early December before I was able to get out. Just yeah, just from what I endured. Once I was able to stand up and move around, I recovered a lot quicker. Okay. Uh, I think it was around week three when I was able to actually walk more than you know 60, 70 feet. I was walking around the unit with a walker. Okay. Uh, Today, if I were to walk around the unit, it'd probably take me 35, 40 seconds. Mm -hmm. Back then when I started to walk around, it'd probably take me half a day just to walk around the unit in a walker. Yeah. So I, 
I'd eat in the morning, get on the walker, walk around the unit, eat lunch, walk around the unit, go to bed. Wow. That was, that was my daily routine. So every day I try to walk around that unit as many times as possible. Yeah. Just to keep going. And that really excelled. Uh, near the near the end of September, they decided to uh, try to close up the wound on my head. Now yeah. on the right side, the, well, the half or half of my head on the right side is, was all exposed, uh, bone in the two big divots, and okay. then there was some plate that wasn't covered up. That there was still exposed bone, and on a daily basis, they remove the bandages, clear up the bone, and rebandage it up. So they they decided that they were going to try to move a portion of my head over top of the exposed bone. They took me in for a surgery for that. That didn't work. The part of my head started to die. It wasn't getting enough blood flow. So they moved it back and then took a chunk on my inner thigh to cover up the exposed bone as a temporary fix. Now, when I woke up from that surgery, the doctor come in and he's like, so we put skin over top of the bone. Usually there's tissue and blood flow there. So we don't expect this to, uh, to take. Like It might, might not. Right. Uh, he gave it. I think it was like a 10% chance of it adhering to the bone and then yep. an extra 2% because I got mauled by a grizzly bear because I had grizzly DNA now that, <laughs> that might work. <laughs> it, and so I was like, okay, you know, like what's the next step? He says, well, we'll see how that does. What we might have to do is take an artery out of your neck and run it or a vein out of your neck and run it into the area and then move another piece of your uh, head over to cover it up. Well, it, it actually ended up taking and and uh so that's I mean, your inner thigh on that side there and it took correct yeah and it took so that's with the uh, they could fix it he's he was bugging me about uh you know maybe putting some tissue expanders in and then moving my hair around to cover it all up and i said no i like it better this way i get half price haircuts so <laughs> perfect keep it light <laughs> yeah <laughs> Always on the bright yeah. side. That's excellent. The, the doctor, Dr. Nickerson was a really, it was a really cool doctor. Uh, it was this, after surgery, the next day after the surgery, when they put the skin graft on over top of the, the bone there, uh, my buddies took me out to the, to the shooting range. And I really wanted to go out and try shooting a gun just to see if I can actually hit anything. Uh, yeah. I was to the point now where I could, the way I could see and focus on, be able to focus this, on things. Is this the picture in the book of you? I want to say with an AR or something at the range. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, on a tripod. So I wasn't able to actually mm -hmm. hold up the gun. So we had it on a tripod for me to shoot. Yeah. And you know, it wasn't shooting all day and I was able to hit a target at 50. I don't know how far is it? Like 50 meters, maybe or 50, maybe 50 yards. Okay. So I had, I had this target and I was so happy. And I remember coming up to the unit and I was, kind of waddling into the unit um, and the charge nurses, I had a day pass that day. So I was late checking into, so I walked <laughs> past the nurse counter and the charge nurse was like, where were you? Well, I was at the gun range. Look, I can hit something. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, what do you mean you had a gun range? Oh, I went to a gun range. You were shooting guns all afternoon. She goes in your condition with a head injury. So <laughs> <laughs> you probably wouldn't want to shoot like, a 50 cal or something that's going to have that percussion to, sh to rattle the brain, but 
and we were shooting a 308, uh, 30 odd six, and the 300 win in, okay. indoors. Yeah, which is not a not a good idea, but no. <laughs> <laughs> but it it wasn't bad on on your system. It didn't want to shut you down or anything. No, it was I was good. I remember walking into the range. I had the, my uh, backpack. It looked like a guitar pack <laughs> yep. with my gun gun yep. in it, and I'm walking in. Yep. Yeah, and I walk into the range. I had a neck gaiter over top of my uh, bandage on my head, and I had yeah. the drains hanging down on my neck from the wounds, and I'm just <laughs> hobbling in there. And I remember the guy at the desk was like, "What are you here for?" I'm here to shoot, and I'm cross-eyed as a bat too at this time. And he's like, "Can you actually see the target?" I'm like, "Yeah, it's over there somewhere." And just he didn't know what to do, and so he got me set up, and it was a lot of fun. When I, so when I got back, the charge nurse, she was so mad at me. She's like, go to your room. So I'm like, okay, whatever. So I go to my room, hang up my hang up my uh, target. I'm so proud I could hit something. Yeah. She, she she called the doctor. And uh, Dr. Nickerson come in there, and he's, you know, he's, so how was shooting? I said, oh, it was awesome. I was able to hit stuff. You know, it was a good feeling. He goes, how was your head? I said, never better. Like, doesn't hurt or anything? I said, nope. He goes, well, that's good on you for getting out there and doing that. Have a good night. Perfect. <laughs> and the nurse was so mad. She's like, that's it? Like. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, you, you mentioned your vision was, was was still terrible at that point. How's your vision now? My vision is 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 good. Uh, it's 2023. The problem I have is my eyes water so much and I don't have any tear ducts. They tried putting them in twice now and it didn't work. My yeah. eyes just water. When I look down they fill up with water in it and I look like I'm crying. So the biggest struggle that I got now was able to close my eyes partially independently. I could shoot my bow. I've yeah. Doing lots of bow hunting. Uh, but for the most part, pretty good. Knowing from what, you know, what happened. Yep. And what was it like getting back into the backcountry and how long did it take before you stepped foot back in the outdoors? <laughs> 48 hours. <laughs> <laughs> I was out of the hospital. The, as soon as I could put pants on over top of the uh, skin graft, I was back out. It was 48 hours after being out of the hospital. I drove back to Panther River Resort yep. and, uh, Saw the ladies there that helped me and Raiden. We drove up as a group to the gate, which I made the stupid mistake of crawling underneath. Yeah. We took our photos there. And then uh, leaving there, we saw some uh, spruce grouse running around. So I got out with a shotgun and me and my wife went out and we and I shot one of them. And she shot the other one. And, <laughs> and I think and it was probably three days after that. I was out hunting uh, with another friend where I shot a, a white-tailed doe and a small bull elk. <laughs> what was that so, like getting back out into the bush? I, I was excited for it. I was ready. Like I just yeah. had all, all this built up inside. I just wanted to get out and yeah. run wild again. But no fear? No, no flashbacks I, when you get, got back out there? No, I was fine for the most part. I still struggled a little bit being near trees. If I was yep. with my wife or daughter, I had a struggle with being in the bush, but by myself, it wasn't, wasn't that bad. Yeah. I think it was three weeks after the incident, we went back into the same area. 
uh, I wanted to go sheep hunting again. So I found somebody that would go out with me and we ended up running into uh, Sal and two cubs on the trail. Same, and same area, same area. And uh, he wasn't, he, he was a little nervous. And so we decided to head out and head somewhere else. But I, I kind of wanted to go back in. Like I really wanted to get a sheep. It was my year. It was my time. Yep. I just didn't want to give up. Yeah. Yeah. And did, uh, was your wife fairly accepting of you wanting to go back out sheep hunting and getting back into the mountains? No, she dreaded every single second of it. We had a, we had a list of rules that we had, I had to follow. So I had to get a Garmin outreach, inreach. Inreach. And, uh, check in with her every hour or so with that, do the live tracking so she can keep track of me and uh, always had to be with somebody. Yep. So there's a whole list of whole list of rules, and I abide yep. by them because otherwise it wasn't logical. Uh, fair enough. And and what are your thoughts on the fatal flaws that were made that day? That I'm guessing that entire list is correcting. If you had advice for anyone else going out into the backcountry, what what were the flaws that you made that you wouldn't make again? The biggest one would be bear spray, having it accessible. Um, now I keep it on my chest at all times. Actually, the year before I got mauled in the yep. same area, I got charged by a grizzly on a different ridge, and I had the pepper spray on my chest. The bear was well thirty yards away, and I come over a hill, and it was right there, and I surprised it. I, was, I saw a mule deer cutting across the side of the or over top of the mountain, so I decided to cut around the mountain to cut him off. And I was jogging. I come over a little ridge, and there's a little little dip and there was a big bear big grizzly bear there and i come over fast on him and he he came up and charged me and i sprayed him he stopped at 10 feet and and then i took off and managed to get managed to he went one way i went the other way but the bear spray stopped him Uh, so the biggest mistake that i made is not having my bear spray on me and accessible like yeah that i don't think if i had a gun in my hand on both of them i don't think i would have been able to stop it there's no way. Uh, even laying there, when the bear's chewing on me, I had a knife on my hip, but I never even went for it, nothing. Like, I don't, honestly don't think any of that would have helped. Right. Yeah. I've, I've heard that numerous times that bear spray is your number one protection against a bear attack. Uh, you don't have to be as precise with it. You might get sprayed yourself in, in the process, but there's a, if you can get that plug out, and hit the bear with it it's it's disappearing um whereas with a gun you have to be precise and on target and you've got a long barrel normally you're not we're not packing pistols here in canada um so even packing a pistol like if you if you i don't know if you ever hunted in africa and and uh hunted dangerous game or been with a guy that hunts dangerous game they yes they use a large caliber weapon but they don't shoot until that animal is literally going to gore them they yeah. wait till you know the, the rhino or the yeah elephants literally touching them before they shoot. Yeah, and they do brain shots now. I don't know about doing a brain shot on a bear with a, <laughs> with a scope <laughs> running at you. I, I don't know. I don't have no. that big of balls. <laughs> no, no. Bear spray is the number one thing. Like I think you hit it on the head. And then an in reach is really cheap insurance. If you spent the money to get out 
and get into the backcountry, you look at your gun, your tent, your backpack, all the gear you've got on you. I don't want to think about how much I've got in just camo and hunting gear, set of binoculars, you add it up. What's that extra? I mean, for what is it? 350 bucks, you can get the in-reach minis, the base models, pick a used one up. It doesn't matter. And then you can just buy it a month subscription. You don't have to have it running all year long. It's cheap insurance. And it's, it's that peace of mind. I, uh, I got one a couple of years ago now and I've, I've been running it for two to three seasons and it, it came in handy last year when we had a, a family incident. Uh, I was in the bush. I, I, I was day two of my sheep, a sheep hunt up north and it was a two day drive and then an eight hour boat ride, get to camp, uh, turn on the inReach to send out the we're at camp message just every night, same message, all good, back at camp talk to you tomorrow basically and then the inreach just goes boom 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 just message 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 coming in um the day that i got there my son ended up in the hospital and so it was just and it was it was covid he ended up on oxygen in the hospital with covid and he's 18 months old at the time and so just to have that i mean it was i by the next morning my wife's like you don't have to come out um he's back at home we're doing better but just having that and being able to make decisions and then she had the peace of mind every day that all good all good we're we're out here on the mountain it really is cheap insurance and robbie austin i mean he's a huge push uh for garmin in reaches and every year he buys a couple and donates them at every wild sheep society event or whatever he's going to um because that was one of his fatal flaws is they had an inReach on them, but they were 40 yards apart. And Chris had it on his body. And after the mauling, Robbie couldn't crawl over to get it. And he thought he was going to die there. But Chris ended up, was in better condition. And he's like, I won't go into the backcountry without an inReach on me. He says, even if I'm, he lives out in the country, even if I'm going to get firewood, I throw that in reach right where I can grab it. He says, other people will put it in their bag. Another fatal flaw. You yeah. leave it where you can grab it and you can hit your SOS button or you can message out if you need to. So bear spray and an inReach, I would, are, are the two big takeaways for sure that the bear spray could stop the mauling. The inReach could get you the help really quickly. Well, quicker yeah. than, than, than what you had to endure. <laughs> it's quicker than walking out. <laughs> <laughs> well, like what I, what I do now is I take a uh, Badlands vinyl uh, holder and I have yep. the bear spray on one side and then the inReach on the other side. Well, so anytime I'm scouting, even fishing, I normally have my binoculars on. Got yeah. those two together. It works great. And I and I practice. Yeah. One of the one of the things I do now when I take old friends or the wife out in the backcountry, we always stop before we go and discuss uh, what we're gonna do if we see a bear. And we practice spraying our bear spray up by the fake the fake cans. Yep. Aerosol cans. And we yeah. practice with them and I show everybody how to use it. And one of the other biggest things is if when you have your can of bear spray and you know you end up falling down, get in the fetal position, you take your can of bear spray and like you put it behind your neck. So if a bear comes to chew on your neck, the can will go explode. You're gonna get some, but you're yeah. gonna survive. Wow. Just little tricks like that, or yeah, if uh if you spot a bear, the person spying the bear looks, watches the bear, and the other guy grabs them and guides them through the bush backwards. The one person is always watching with the bear spray ready. Makes Simple sense. stuff, but yeah, things that you probably don't think about in the at the time, but if you rehearse it, you're more likely to remember it. We do the same thing with avalanche training on snowmobiles. 
beginning of every season, we go through those procedures about what if, what if, how do we do this? Let's test our gear. And I mean, that that makes perfect sense. And that's great advice for everyone listening to go over those scenarios. Anyone you're going hiking with, hunting with, camping with, have a contingency, contingency plan ready for an attack. Definitely. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Unbelievable. I'm just, I'm, I'm just running it all through my head. There's, there's one part right after the attack that you uh, touched on, but I didn't want to interrupt you to dig into it. Then I thought I'd wait till the end that as small as it was, as small as the, the description of it was in the book, it's one of the things that's really, um, really emotional, really powerful. And you, like I say, you touched on it in our discussion here and it had to do with, Right after the mauling there in the book, there was a just a short paragraph where you talked about the possibility of why am I suffering? I could end the pain. And um, uh, again, that was that was one of those spots I had to stop reading and go back and reread it and put myself in your position. And then the whole um, thinking about your wife and your daughter and, and it, it hit me hard. It really hit me hard. And it was, it's like I say, it's touched on, it's about a half a paragraph. Uh, I, I, I want to say like on page 38 or something like that. It, like, cause I stopped, <laughs> yep. I, I stopped and I had to kind of go back, start over and read those last couple paragraphs. And it was, it, it, it was a tough read. And I can fully understand after what you've been through, you see how far, of a hike you have out uh, you might have even this might have been e even after the first tumble I, I don't remember exactly at what point but man it's 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 emotional it's impactful and as a father and as a husband it's 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 tough to read but well worth reading let's put it that way and it really puts everything into perspective of what you endured and how hard and what pushed you to make it out of there but Without, let me paint you a picture without giving too many details here. Just imagine yourself after being mauled, sitting on on what you think is one of the most peaceful areas you've ever been, one of the most beautiful places. It just gives you a sense of safety and just all-around beauty. And just yeah. sitting there, knowing blood everywhere, your face scattered across the hillside, and just what do you do in that situation? Like, you know, it's the end. Do you, yeah. what do you do? That's, that was probably the hardest three minutes or so, or 10 minutes of, of really like determining if I was going to be here or not. That no was kidding. very hard to, and it's even hard to talk about. That's part of the reason why it's small paragraph in the book, but that was a huge step. Um, It's hard to describe. Um, like, you know, it's the end. You know, there's no way you're going to ever get out. Uh, you know, things are just so messed up. What do you do? And it, yeah, I'm glad I did because I'm here today. It, for sure. Yeah. And, and yeah, sitting in that position, I could, like you say, you paint the picture there, the hopelessness of what you've just been through and, 
the challenge ahead of you, it's it definitely would have been the easier way out, right? But it, when, <laughs> when you're when you're sitting there and just you know you feel that nice nice cool breeze whip down, you can hear there's a creek nearby and you can hear the water trickling over the rocks kind of down the falls. Just a nice peaceful, you know, like this is people who buy CDs to listen to this the sound yeah. and it's all yeah. around you and you're just sitting there and it's like a little oasis, but you're, I don't know. It, it's a out of body experience, I guess. And just, I don't know. It's really hard to put that emotion on paper and unless yeah. you've been through it. Yeah. But I can feel the struggle from, like I say, it was so short, but so impactful. And I, I, I can feel the internal struggle in that just, putting myself through what you had been through. And, and I mean, the book is very vivid. Um, your recollection of the attack goes into detail and it's, it's really easy to lose yourself in the story. Um, and so I, I, again, to be able to see the raw emotion that, that you put down on paper, um, a lot of people may have skipped over that because that's a difficult thing to talk about. It's a difficult thing to, to even, it's vulnerable to put out there that that was a thought that went through your head and stuff too, right? I mean, everyone wants to see the, oh, the heroic story. And you touch on that in there as well, that people thought of you as a hero. And you're like, I'm not a hero. Heroes rescue other people. And to have that struggle as well. So, I mean, you you really left it all out there for the reader to go through, as did your wife. And I, I commend that because it really would have been easy to leave those things out. And so, um, I don't know if there's anything... Anything else from the book or from the story that you want to get out there for listeners to um, take away? I, I mean, for me, the big one is get out there and buy the book. It's not available yet. It will be available. Are there, do you have, where are you selling it? Well, um, I hope uh, we'll sell it with you guys. Um. <laughs> We're going to put it online. You'll be able to buy it on our website. As soon as we get some in, we'll put it online and you, you can order it here. Uh, you're, you're hitting local hunting stores across Canada or mom and pa shops across Canada. Uh, mostly bookstores. There are some awesome. uh, sporting goods stores. They'll be carrying it. We don't have the yep. full list quite yet. They're still, uh, still trying to get it out there, yep. uh, but it'll be chapters. Indigo. You can also Perfect. get it online on yep. Amazon. And also directly from Rocky Mountain Books. Okay. You can order it on their website. Excellent. And it'll be available September 27th. So getting excited. No kidding. Yeah. And uh, anything else you want the listeners to hear before we before we wrap up this podcast? Uh No. I think we well, covered most of it. That's awesome. I Can't mean, the story is... <laughs> this was a two and a half hour podcast. We got through a good chunk of your story. There's a lot that was left out, which is great because that gives the reader something to look forward to in the book. It's just like reading a book and watching a movie. We just watched the movie here on this podcast and buy the book because it gets a lot more in-depth and a lot more emotional. Um my business partner and Uncle Tim just popped in. I'm actually sitting in his office, and he wanted to he wanted to say hi. Hey, Jeremy. Hey. I can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> You're running through my earphones, but. It's an honor. Thank you. Thank you. Nice that. meeting you. Thank you very much. It's an honor. We sure appreciate you uh, taking the time and uh, doing this with us. Um, 
you know, I think there's some things people can learn from your story and gain and, you know, some safety things potentially. I don't know. I mean, I haven't heard the story. I'm sure Aaron's going to fill me in and I really look forward to seeing it. But it's great to be talking to you. And again, thank you. We're, we're honored. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. This is exciting. Can't hear a word you said. <laughs> I, I heard it. <laughs> he heard it. Good meeting you. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> so, well, and I, I think we only covered like what the first 45 pages of the book. <laughs> There's 192 more to go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We're no, the, it's a, that's where all the juicy stuff is. Yeah. Any Anything else you do want to touch on in the story or anything? Uh, you know, some of the biggest takeaways from it is, uh, you know, family comes first. Uh, don't don't take things for granted. And uh, it's all about setting mini goals. When you set mini goals, you can achieve the most incredible things, uh, you know. And and I guess, yeah, that, that that is what we forgot to get into is, let's go back to the title of this book, Mauled, Lessons Learned from a Grizzly Bear Attack. So there's some <laughs> of the lessons. There's the takeaways. <laughs> There's still, there's still a lot more lessons. And also this book is a tribute to the power of the human spirit and the drive to survive. Not only is it about a vis vicious bear attack, but it's about the life lessons learned along the way. Uh, you know, the book will captivate the reader and immerse them in a world of emotions. Uh, the other good thing about the book is it's written from several different views. Uh, in Fish and Wildlife, my wife, uh, the... The other heroes throughout the story that shared the epic journey with me, it, yep. it gives you a wide range of. And, well, and I don't, I don't think you need to push the book. The book, book pushes itself. And this story that you, you just shared with us on this podcast, which will go live here on Thursday, uh, we'll be promoting it and stuff uh, leading up to the release of the podcast. And I'll, I'll let you know how that all goes. And. And if there's anything down the road that we can help you out with, with promotions, or if you're ever going around doing book signings or anything like that, I mean, um, we're here, we're here. We want to help get your story out there. We want to help, help you out in any way we can to get this story out there because it is a story worth reading and worth, worth listening to. It's phenomenal. And I, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to sit down with us to go through this and to share the firsthand experience. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. I'd love to. I'd love to make a trip out there and do a big book signing for you guys. That'd be that'd be a lot of yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, we could hit you at both locations. We could do uh, one here in Dawson, and then hit the big our new location in Prince George, and see what we can do. Let's have some fun with it. Find find a downtime when you're willing to do a little traveling and do the loop. Definitely. Excellent. Well. So if anyone else out there has a story that they think is worth sharing, whether it's uh, an attack, whether it's a harrowing outdoor story, please reach out to me, Aaron at Shoot Shoot us a message on Instagram, Facebook. If you are looking to get a hold of Jeremy, he is also on Facebook and Inst you're on Instagram as well? Correct. Jeremy Evans. Uh, I will be posting a link when we push this on social media. So they'll I'll be resharing your post promoting the book, which also has the very graphic photograph if they want to see kind of the aftermath. At which point, I, <laughs> at which point in the maulings was that photo taken? Was that between the second, second and third, third round? So yep. after the third round, you were even worse than, than that photograph there. 
Correct. I was fully de-scalped. So, so everything from below my ears, from the yep. back of my neck, everything was pulled off. I wow. looked like I looked like the guy off of uh, um, Captain America, the guy with the red head. Yeah, that's what I that's what I look like with the ball peen hammer smashed in my face. <laughs> Holy, unbelievable! Well, there you have it. That's that's the story, and I. I, I can't wait to have a follow-up discussion with you in a couple of weeks and see kind of where we're at at that point, once the book's live and available everywhere. All right, Jeremy, um, I'm going to sign off. We can stay on and have a little follow-up discussion here, but signing off on the podcast, I can't thank you enough for sharing this with us. And uh, yeah, if anyone else out there has stories that they feel are worth sharing in a podcast, we are now doing them over Skype as well. Initially, up until this point, we were trying to have them in store, but living in Dawson Creek, we're not quite the most local place for everyone <laughs> to drive to to have podcasts. So I think this went well. Um, it was it, it, a couple minor technical difficulties, but we look forward to having more podcasts like this. So reach out to us, Aaron at Corlanes.com. If you have someone or have a story you want to tell or reach out to your friends, if you think they would be good for a podcast guest as well, hunt hard, talk free, signing off. Have a great day.